Ahoy there, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks for checking this out. It's only the new UK pay-per-view Bono extravaganza. We're looking at Rebellion 2002, as voted by you, the fans, over at our Facebook page. Just want to give a quick shout-out to all of our amazing backers over at patreon.com forward slash podcast, helping keep this show 100% fan and listener-supported, ad-free and sponsor-free since the inception. And if you want to, you can become a backer over on that Patreon page. Get access to everything including the smackdown crawl over 70 episodes all those video episodes with myself adam and billy all the wild side ventures like the the big show 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 or the bibliotech or book report series some free examples here if you checked out the hardy boys Maybe you want to see the second part of that and see how it ends for Daddy and the gang. Or maybe you want to check out our latest, it's the Big Apple Takedown. We are on to our second part. We'll be dropping very, very shortly. And there's a new comic special with Adam and Billy as well to wet your whistle with. All this and more available at patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. And hey, once again, a big shout out to everyone who supported us in the last 12 months. But for now, let's settle in. It's time for a UK pay-per-view. It's time for a Rebellion 2002. Hello everyone and welcome to the Attitude Era podcast. Bono UKO Voto Fan Special Edition. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, joined as I am always in these UK pay-per-view reviews by UK's own Adam Bibolo. Uh, hey, Kevin. Uh, rebellion. Rebellion. Oh, I need, rebellion. I need, I need to have windy pops. I've got a bit of rebellion here. Somebody oh. needs to give me a, a ready or something like that. <laughs> Adam, this was a, a unique UK pay-per-view offering. Now, we have, if you've not seen, a best of UK pay-per-view episode special super bumper episode mm. that has just been released in the timeline. This was kind of like we thought it'd be a nice chance to spite people who were like, a best of, <laughs> and, <laughs> and provide them with a mirror to new content as well at the same mm -hmm. time. So we had a vote for this for the first time ever for a UK pay-per-view. That we did. We had our options of Rebellion 2002, Insurrection 2002, or Insurrection 2003. And I will say there was it was kind of close between this and Insurrection 03, I believe. But Rebellion 2002 came out on top easily, and people in the comments seem to be very passionate about this winning. It was interesting. I, I wonder if it's because you and I are, are Manchester citizens currently, if that's mm -hmm. the, the reason why people felt so strongly. I know there was a lot of love in the comments as well for Insurrection 02 as it pertains to the plane ride from hell, which I've oh, taken... Yeah great joy in talking about over and over on how to wrestling but mm. we've never had a chance to sink our teeth into it here so you know these are uk pay-per-views we'll get them eventually right exactly we're gonna do them all and yes we did actually you may have noticed that we didn't mention insurrection 01 there folks but don't worry we've not forgotten about it likewise like kevin said there we are gonna get around to it we have got plans to do that eventually 
Oh uh, yeah, we I was gonna say we do have plans. The plans are to ignore that pay per view, never do it ever. <laughs> For some reason, we picked Over the Edge 1999 and Insurrection 2001 that we're never doing. <laughs> so this is the first UK pay per view that we've done in an age. Yeah, this is the first one we've done in a good while. The last one we managed to sink our teeth into was One Night Only 1997, which you may well have blocked out of your memory like I did because it was such a fucking <sighs> miserable affair. Yeah, the thing is. My my, my body's healing factor just patched over the part of my brain to mm. get rid of that that sad trauma that I've not had to uh, to think about since. UK pay-per-views, one night only being the exception, they tend to be a fun experience indeed because it's usually the nice mix of wrestlers, I don't say not trying, but we do have, <laughs> we, we absolutely do have our fun time house show roller skates on for yep. most of the evening. And that's always a good time. And also it is in the MEN and I recognized, I recognized the, the, the outside shots. And I was like, I would take an Uber from there now normally, <laughs> yep. what I would do. There was a few people, because we put the call out, obviously we have quite a lot of listeners in the UK, so we put the call out for anyone that has attended this show, and I did notice on Facebook there was a few people that were saying like, oh yeah, one of my memories is that the arena was like, a train station of sorts? <laughs> like, people hey! people don't get the Manchester Evening News Arena, Kevin. I, I think it's fucking great, like the best thing in the world you want to do when you finish this show, you just get straight on a train and you get the fuck out of there, that's absolutely brilliant. Easy. You want to feel like you're in the Warriors when you go to a wrestling show? Head down to the MEN. You have a grand old time indeed. Or do like we did and see What Culture Pro Wrestling at the Altrincham Ice Rink and then you can hop on a tram straight afterwards and get the fuck away from there. <laughs> now, I feel strange saying this because usually when we've been doing this recently, it's been to talk about the WWA. Yeah. We're, we're not. We're talking about something that's probably a lot nearer and dearer to people's hearts. So you put the call out on Twitter at a podcast. Give us an out follow videos and all that jazz over there folks what uh what are some of the memories and thoughts people had uh, or fans of rebellion 02 well we got quite a lot of like lovely memories and input and people sharing their experiences and i will pepper them throughout the show but off the bat here i will say one of the most common things i noticed and this is from a lot of people that both watched it on pay-per-view or went to see it live in person in attendance there was a lot of folks saying i saw this i was there I don't remember anything. <laughs> that was really common. So many folks don't remember jack shit about this show. I think, like, it, in the nicest way possible, and to bury the lead thoroughly, it is a forgettable show. It but kind of is. But that's not a bad thing. I, I say in wrestling, sometimes you need a forgettable show, Adam. Yeah, forgettable doesn't make it a bad show by any means. Like, we'll get into it, but I will say... While this show doesn't have any sort of big, wacky bulldog has given Stephanie amnesia or anything like that, it doesn't stop it from being a fine show that moves at a decent pace. Now, the other big, most common thing that people had in terms of memories from this show, mild spoiler alert here, Whoa. folks, but The Undertaker was advertised to be main eventing this, and he got pulled from the show Whoa. for reasons that we'll get into shortly. But a lot of folks have very vivid memories of queuing up to go inside and seeing a big plain sign outside it with very blunt language saying, Undertaker isn't here tonight. <laughs> Just because they basically, they had to tell the fans before they got into the building so they could clear themselves of any legal issues. It's a very interesting time for wrestling fandom. We're in the midst of O2 now. We're well into the brand split. Oh yeah. Paul Heyman in charge of SmackDown for the most part. We're entering into this kind of amazing SmackDown 6 era, high mm. work rate. SmackDown and Raw, I would argue, 
very, very different shows indeed. Oh, yes, they are right now. And while in America, the appetite, particularly for the house show business and sitting down and watching it on Monday nights, seems to be dwindling away at an alarming rate. I don't want to say rats flee in a sinking ship, but Mm. I mean, there's quite a pace at which people were stopping watching wrestling forever. But over in the UK, and I'll include Ireland as well as part of this bracket, there was a bottomless insatiable hunger desire thirst whatever you want to call it we wanted to see wrestling because if you got to see wrestling over in this neck of the woods what it was was very small little shows family Mm -hmm. shows rock and roll style american wrestling with someone dressing up pretending to be bob holly and kane and while there's not anything wrong with that it isn't the we hadn't yet arrived upon the Let's present wrestling as big as we possibly can. There was no one yeah. trying to run an arena or trying to like present a WWE style show. So the only way to see a show like this was to see WWE. If I recall, when we talked about in the 2000s, WCW had a hellaciously successful tour in the UK because mm-hmm. yep. we just wanted to see wrestling in an arena with a Titan Tron and Pyro. That's it. Even the WWA, if you remember, when we talked about their UK shows, those were some of the ones that sold the best when they went on tour <laughs> because you could back then, I don't know about nowadays, but back then at least, you could definitely rely on the UK to always be a hot market for sure. Yeah, and that's what they told Five Star Wrestling when they ran the NBA. Oh, people people in the ring where were the rest of ye you told me it was insatiable you <laughs> idiots ray mysterio in the ring going i'm gonna wrestle like it's a full arena no you're fucking not stop <laughs> lying stop it now you mentioned there a very key important thing about this show for me because i know that you and billy have been diving into some stuff from like around the ruthless aggression era together (laughs) but for me this is the first time that we've done anything on the podcast that is post brand split we're looking at 2002 raw and smackdown like and is this post adam watching regularly yes oh yeah i I had stopped at this point i was still getting the video games i think i I don't think i ever took a break from buying the games, so i was always relatively up to date with the roster and what's generally going on but i i had long since stopped watching wrestling at this point but you saying there about smackdown and raw being very different shows right now that is true because obviously smackdown like you say smackdown six high work rate cruiserweights classic wrestling matches going on and i will say as well with paul Heyman at the helm Lots mm. of sleazy shit as well, like Tori and Don. Oh, which of we'll course. <laughs> it can't all be good. It's still the ruthless aggression era, let's not forget. But, meanwhile, over on Raw, this show that we're looking at today, Rebellion 2002, is coming to us one week after the infamous Katie Vick angle where Triple H had sex in a casket. Come on, baby. Yeah, that's, that's a, where we are. That's our, our harsh palate cleanser compared to the mm. SmackDown 6 era. I will say... In terms of a period in wrestling that probably doesn't get the look in it should, it really has to be 02, and I'd say early early 03 SmackDown as well. I think that period of time from the brand split until the summer after WrestleMania 19 mm. is some of the best wrestling ever. And I remember, in, in terms of, like, if you like a WWE product, you know, if you, it's not for you, it's not for you. But like, I remember there being a lot of things that I was super duper passionate about, like, random wrestlers getting pushes who weren't normally getting pushes like 
strange new characters for people who've had the same characters for forever and ever and ever and it feels like one of the great experimental times in professional wrestling well i will say to that end yeah you saying that this doesn't get a look in obviously i've not seen much of this era but the way i can relate to that is that i often do feel that smackdown shut your mouth doesn't get a look in in terms of classic ps2 games oh baby and that was this era baby because i remember playing that one and being like oh Raw and SmackDown, they're different things now. Huh, who's that strange blonde old man that says woo a lot and why is Austin giving him a stunner? Like, Here's a question then. Like, you said you weren't watching wrestling at this point. Mm. If you were to have taken the temperature on the playground or whatever oh, it was. No, <laughs> no, no. Was no. there any appetite for it in, 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 your, in your school? At this point in time, it was firmly not just we don't watch wrestling anymore, but wrestling is for little kids. That that was the attitude in my really? playground. Was sort of like If there was, I think there was maybe one or two kids that did actually still watch wrestling. And they were talked about with very much the attitude of like... <laughs> You still watch wrestling? Okay, yeah. You still watch Rugrats as well, do you? Like, that kind of attitude. Never stop feeling sorry for folks who felt like they couldn't enjoy wrestling. Like, had to enjoy it in... The worst thing is is then having to enjoy it in secret is feeling like, oh, I probably just should watch it all together, you know? Honestly, one of my biggest shames now looking back is that I totally joined in on the pylon back in those days. I was very much going along with the like, yeah, everyone, look at him. He's got a wrestling magazine tucked away in his bag trying to make sure that no one can see it. Let's have a go at him for watching wrestling because it's stupid. I joined right in with that brigade, Kevin, and it keeps me awake at night. You would have made fun of the lad who had all the lyrics of Undertaker's entrance theme on his pencil case as well, Aww. you know. It was it was a very odd time for me as, as a fan. I may mention this kind of briefly before, but my kind of gang that I watched wrestling with between the ages of like, you know, 10 and 14 thereabouts, they all stopped watching, you know, it was like dropping like flies. It was like WrestleMania right. 17, half of them stopped watching. Once the invasion started, I came back after summer. I was like, what about that invasion, guys? They was like, <laughs> what about that invasion? <laughs> but in the oddest about face ever, and this is one of the few great things about going to a, an all boys boarding school <laughs> for your secondary years was that Brock Lesnar was a fucking golden calf of an idol for the JCT and the SCT, the Leinster rugby boys in my school. And all of a sudden, I used to be the boy who would sneak down at night and stuff crisp packets in the lock so you couldn't lock the TV room. So (laughs) me and the boys could sneak in and watch wrestling, as one Dean once put it, like fucking rats. Because we'd bring down our blankets and hide underneath them so no one could see us through the windows at four in the fucking morning. (laughs) Cut to 2002, when the pay-per-view experience was a load of fucking 18-year-olds on creatine and steroids going, fucking Brock Lesnar and Big Show in the main event! And we'd we'd have a great old time. And I'd be filling them in on the little bits of information and they'd be getting all vascular and angry and just have to start pulling down bits of drywall when matches didn't go the way they liked. It, Adam, it went from being a little boy time to a positive beef house. That's what happened. This, honestly, I, I know I've made the comparisons of like, wow, it sounds like prison before now. But it, you, know, you know how like gangs in prison will be like, hey, let's, let's keep the guy with the glasses because he knows a lot about this subject or whatever. He might come in handy later on. Yeah, I'm the uh, Tobias Beecher of this uh, group here for from us well i can hear the rumblings right now the people are rising up so let's get ready it's time for a jibrillion i am sad 
sad about what has taken place. Sad about the changes that have happened. Sad for those who have fallen. There has been a shift in power. A new set of rules. Unfriendly forces have taken control. And they take such pleasure in the pain of others. Mocking the misery and feeding off of the failures. This is the place we are in. But I have hope. I have heard that history repeats itself. That the good things will come back to us again if we believe and we are patient. And even when those who are the mightiest seem all but invincible, that they too can fall. I know times will be like they were. And I know through struggles, that this can be overcome. We have spoken. Our strength will help them rise. I now sense the forces will be shaken. I now feel a new change is in motion. I now see an uprising is taking place, and I know it cannot be stopped. I now have hope. I know the rebellion has begun. Oh, Kevin, how about that package? Whoa! Unbelievable! Did you catch the opening line, the first sentence we hear on this pay-per-view? What was the very... This is from the... the they had like Freddie Blassie, but they had managed to turn him into a little boy. Yeah, this was a tiny child. Again, kind of similar to how I guess you must be feeling looking at all of your friends that have stopped watching <laughs> wrestling. The first line we hear in this show, I am sad. <laughs> sad about what has taken place. Sad about the changes that have taken place. There has been a shift in power. A new set of rules. Basically, this kid doesn't like the brand split from what I'm getting here. Like, he just, he doesn't like the new WWE. I couldn't reach out to this kid when I was his age. Like, that was my problem. I, there was Aww. a barrier between us. But I too, like the little boy, had hoped that history would repeat itself. And if you like history repeating itself, well, congratulations, you're watching professional wrestling and it will repeat itself with smaller periods of time in between the repetitions <laughs> between now and sorry if you if you peer closer you can hear the ring collapsing again <laughs> again the good things will come back to us again if we believe and we are patient so you know kid you might not like the brand split you might not like the way it's going but if you hang in there there's a raw super show with your name on it one day in a good 10 years time you'll absolutely love it i gotta love the visuals matching up there when the little boy was if we believe and we are patient and it showed chuck palumbo who is no who is currently just after Marrying Billy Gunn and then saying no homo though, and then it's like Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo, they like looking at girly mags Fuck and uh, they're cool dudes. And they're such like... men that Billy Gunn has been injured like he has been <laughs> once a year, every year for his entire <laughs> fucking career. So yeah, Chuck, you will have to be patient. You'll become a wise guy shortly, and then later on you'll become a biker and we will remember you. No, we won't. <laughs> Hey, this poster, can I just say, if you're looking on the network, this poster is just the Unforgiven 2002 poster at 75% zoom. Yeah. It's not right. Colour changed. Clearly from the same photo shoot as the Here Comes the Pain video game cover as well. Like They got a lot of money's worth out of Brock Lesnar doing those pictures. 
Adam, oftentimes people will come to us and they'll say, hey, what is it you're looking to accomplish with this podcast? What is your, your goal? Are you trying to chronicle? Are you trying to document? Are you trying to, to inform? What is it ultimately? I don't know about you, but for me personally, I'm just doing all of this. So at one point, I will be given the Rebellion Trophy, as shown here in the opening graphics. <laughs> that, that fist with the little kind of half-cog halo around it spinning around... Looks good. It's just the red faction box art. I know I've said it before, but that is literally all it is. Yeah, like. but the red faction one didn't spin. It didn't oh, watch your time, you know? True. It's kind of got knockoff Robot Wars or like runner-up in <laughs> Robot yeah. Wars vibes to us. But yeah, this is like a new era of wrestling, sure, because we've got the brand split and we've got things have changed up. Things are considerably different to how they were 12 months ago, but we still have the classic rebellion theme straight yeah. away. Classic branding, classic theme. It's all just how you remember it, just a little bit different. I would say in terms of trying to get a true sense of what this period of SmackDown is like, we've probably picked one of the worst pay-per-views because I'd say half of this show will give you that sense. The other half is very much business as usual, Mm. WWE overseas. And this is always the best type of UK pay-per-view. The one that comes at the tail end of a lengthy tour. We were in Switzerland the night before. We were in fucking Cairo or whatever it is. You know, they're they're tired a little bit. So there are some changes, but I wouldn't be lying if I said the familiarity wasn't at least a bit overwhelming, particularly with that set design. That was very armageddon 2000 in itself oh yeah the set it's like a load of corrugated scrap iron with union jacks and saint george's crosses spray painted on them and rebellion fists god it was like it was more effort than you would expect them to put in for a uk set oh yeah the the aesthetic was definitely salford 40k that's what i took away from it (laughs) and yes we're in manchester and we've got a very fiery crowd indeed Mm. and who have we got on commentary the fucking dream team it's time for some michael Cole and Taz with two Z's, baby. I feel like I owe these two an apology because I'm pretty sure I've talked a load of mess about them on the podcast <laughs> in the past. But for those that aren't joining us on patreon.com forward slash AE podcast, we're currently at the point in SmackDown Crawl where we know Jerry Lawler is going to be gone anytime now. Mm. And soon we're going to get Michael Cole and Taz on like a long term basis. And Kevin, having watched this show, I can't fucking wait till we get more Taz on our SmackDown crawl. They are very silly here, and it's good because... Very silly. Taz is silly, but he's not... Like We got a few glimpses of Taz on commentary earlier in the crawl. Yeah. We say commentary, it was mostly Taz laughing on a headset. (laughs) (laughs) Good old MC! (laughs) And he's finally found that joke not funny anymore, and they do have a chemistry and a banter. And I think we can only say this now in 2021, where we are at the moment recording this, Mm. where everyone loves Taz and Michael Cole is just not, no one's got the energy to hate him anymore. These lads are probably one of the best commentary teams of modern times. I feel like the best thing that ever happened to Michael Cole in terms of his public perception was that Beast in the East show they did in Japan yeah. where Vince wasn't like on the headset with him, so Cole just got to do whatever he wanted. And the, the UK tournament as well, he had two yes. nights of that, I remember that back in the day. Since those shows, people have stopped hating Cole and I think started feeling kind of sorry for Cole. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, he has to put up with a lot, doesn't he? Bless him. And I like, they're not... Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of people who are going to hear me say I think they're one of the best commentary teams or whatever, and they will absolutely scoff at that, and that's totally fine. But for me, what I look for in a commentary team, and it's not moves and analysis and all that. I mean, I'd like mm. that to be part of it, 
but I really want my commentary team to reflect the three ring circus of, of wrestling. You know, I want yeah. there to be analysis. I want there to be banter. I want there yeah. to be off the cuff remarks and I want there to be scripted jokes and bits. I want the characters to come forward, but not to interfere with the action. Yes. And I think these lads pretty much nailed that. And I'd argue they nail it more than my all actual favorite commentary team, JR and Paul Heyman, because those two guys more than a few times got a bit sidetracked to the detriment yeah. of the performers. <laughs> I, I will say I've heard we I've heard people say very very nice things about this era of Taz and Cole before and I've always had it in my mind that it's like yeah that's great that they're that good but I think anyone could be good if Paul Heyman is pulling you back into the recording booth for yeah. 3 hours every week. But they don't have that luxury here. This is a live UK pay-per-view. They're doing all this live and they still do a pretty damn serviceable job. It shows you that if you're brought in, you're made to correct your mistakes and work on it, etc., etc., that when you are off then, off mm. the leash, you're probably going to be better off than if you hadn't been given that mm -hmm. extra. And I love that Cole and Taz have been on the record to say, we hated that Heyman would bring us back in. <laughs> it sucked. Because they'd have to go to Stanford to do yeah, that. A lot more travel and work. Yeah, and that's absolute fucking BS, so I'm sure it would feel like at the time. But they're a polished team here tonight. Mm hmm Less polished, I think, is the concept of Stephanie McMahon as a face GM. Oh, I hated this. Oh, now, you see, now, my only memory of this, again, is from, I think, Here Comes the Pain. That was the first time I was like, wait, Stephanie's in charge of something now? And she's nice? Wait, she's more grown up now? Is she listening and learn? <laughs> she's true sound, finally Fuck getting a turn. Sake. Pablo Escobar, I'm, like, Breaking Bad, but cooler. <laughs> Still better than Welcome to the Queendom, baby. Yeah, Fucking that's true. That, song. That, that is officially the worst. She's, like, the anti-coach. Because <laughs> coach, every theme he has is pure rock solid gold <laughs> steph all the worst all the worst ones but i remember back in the day seeing this on playstation 2 being like ah baby face stephanie in charge of things i'm well up for that i'd never seen her actually cut a promo or have any actual camera time in this role until today though it's really weird adam i think it's so so weird they try to draw a line under the character that stephanie was and stephanie mm. before this this is like post invasion stephanie yeah where she's dressing like i don't know she's gonna financially dominate you and chris jericho and like every time <laughs> she come out joe would be like look at how this young woman's dressed you know all this Fuck's to sake. put over what a ridiculously over the top sexualized character she was i will never forget when stephanie during that time hurt her neck and came out in a black latex neck brace. <laughs> that's a commitment to whatever the bit is. It's a commitment oh, to it. That's so fucking hot, dude. They tried to draw a line under it. And it's like, no, Stephanie's not like that now. She's more grown up now mm. she listens and learns. Stop it. But <laughs> finally getting her turn. But they would open SmackDown with her like bent over in a short mini skirt, being like, got your attention. Oh, it's the gimmick of how Stephanie is, because they keep saying, like, you're just like your dad. It's like if Vince found himself now in the body of a sexy 30-year-old woman. Yeah. And this is how he'd act. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, we don't get any of that tonight. I wasn't aware of that side of Stephanie. All we get here is kind of like a, a weak baby face. She doesn't seem very confident. Like, Oh, no. She was a lot, lot stronger and more confident when she was in the ring asking John Cena to spank her to prove that he's a real God man. Say, And John was like, spank Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> yeah th this i mean I, it doesn't help that we're currently in 2001 on smackdown crawl where we're getting like 
pretty fucking black tar heroine evil Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> and yeah. now we've got this really vague, kind of diluted and weak babyface GM. It's just nothing really stands out about this character. It seems very bland and forgettable to me. I don't think there should be face GMs. Here's my hot take. Oh. I think there should be heel GMs. And I know mm-hmm. people get all up in arms about heel GMs being like an overdone thing or whatever. I just think that, you know... The heel boss, the baddie boss that you hate, if you think that's overplayed, just find new ways to make it work, you know, because there are so many ways in which bosses can be horrible, and Mm -hmm. I think you can really put your thinking cap on. I don't think there should be face GMs. I think there should be neutral GMs who do nothing, and then heel GMs who are dicks in their own way. Face GMs always just comes across as, like, a bit damp. Like, I, you know, hey, I love Teddy Long making a tag team match as much as the next person, but, like, I don't know. It always just seems... Like, the most successful GMs people remember are the ones who either did fuck all or the mm. ones who were, like, proper dictators. I like Gorilla Monsoon as a president yep. because you never see him. Mm-hmm. You know that he's a decent guy, but he's not going to use that again. But where are you going putting everyone in a match with The Undertaker, Teddy Long? Abuse of power. <laughs> Abuse of power. Sorry, I was just sat here apprehensively waiting for fucking Adam Pearce to get mentioned yet again on a recording. But Well, Adam Pearce is so neutral he can't even get mentioned on a recording, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I think special mention to like you say gorilla monsoon there i think if you have a beloved personality like someone that is already like overwhelmingly loved by fans like mick foley was when he was commissioner then i think you can get a lot more mileage out of the babyface gm because they've got so much personality and there's already so much goodwill yeah stephanie mcmahon definitely did not have that before turning into a babyface authority figure no but you know i think foley might be the the lone exception because i love Mm. foley but i think it only worked because of it was nice to see someone be unfair to the heels because we had so long in that period of time of the heels always getting one up on everyone all the time i feel there is yeah a nice middle ground to be had with with perhaps beloved figures that's why hogan and tna as a gm works so well you know oh kevin (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing more cursed than any time you reference tna it just gives me this dark shiver that like yes we're gonna do that eventually immortal forever that's all i'm saying have you not got the matching back tattoo? I sent you over the design. <laughs> I, you promised, you all promised you'd get it with me. Otherwise, I'm going to look stupid. So what? why is Stephanie here, Kevin? What's she got to tell everyone? I want to welcome everyone to Rebellion. As we all know, SmackDown is the greatest brand in WWE. And we can't wait to show you our brand of blue supremacy here tonight. <laughs> also, The Undertaker is not here. Yay! Now, I, I did some research before watching this show and I made some notes and I was like, oh, I got a little scoop here. I found the real reason why Undertaker's not here tonight. It's because <gasps> any day now, Sarah's going to have a baby. And then out comes Stephanie McMahon and she's like, the Undertaker can't be here after the vicious attack at the hands of Brock Lesnar in the big show. And also, he's having a baby any minute now. <laughs> it's like, don't tell them that. I was just kind of thinking, you know, I could easily do right now what it would be like if WWE were to kind of portray The Undertaker's thoughts on Rebellion 2002. Oh, boy. Hang on. Whoa, man. Rebellion. So that's that's what The Undertaker <laughs> has to say about that. Gotta love some modern-day Mark Calloway, man. He's got his finger right on the pulse. And tonight, we have a make-good because we were meant to get Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, mm. which I'm sure would have been fucking amazing because they're just after that Hell in the Cell match, which is what I think... The best Hell in the Cell that doesn't rely on a stunt or a uh, a big gimmick. It's like wow, the okay. match and the brutality 
all happens within the confines of that cell. Hmm. And it's one of the only times I felt they used the cell as an environment without using it as a gimmick, if that makes sense. Yeah. Great match. But they announced instead, we've got to make good, because tonight in Manchester, in our main event, it's Hay taking on Brock Lesnar and Paul Eggman. Wait, what? Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Kevin. Yeah. Something's going to be me. You made a mistake. <laughs> it's getting to the point now where I feel like I need some sort of decoder ring to figure out these announcements. Gee, all right. It's Egg. Brackets Edge taking on Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Okay, I just I got excited. <laughs> Was that Paul... so hard? And, you know, I'm not the first one because every time Heyman got beat up, Jim Ross was like, it's the Eggman. No. Cuckoo, cachoo. <laughs> I was being referential to a beloved period in wrestling. Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest subtle digs of all time, where she's like, now, as you all know, the big show is a member of, of SmackDown and not Monday Night Raw. And as a trade for that, we get Booker T from Raw on SmackDown for one night? That was part of the deal. Like, she threw that in there as, like, a deal sweetener. Who did she trade for the big show, exactly? Oh, mm. If I recall, it's like Stacey Keebler's involved. Because I remember they did this whole thing where there was like a mole in Stephanie's office. And she thought it was Don Marie and it turned out to be Stacey Keebler. So I'm pretty sure that that was one of the the member, one of the, the, the raw roster additions that we got as a result of this. But I'll tell you something I didn't expect. And I watched during this period and I kind of listened back to people going like, oh, he was so over. And I was always kind of like, was he? Mm. and here yeah he fucking was yeah booker t man the pop for the book man the five time five time wcw champion booker t can you dig it sucker sucker, sucker. holy Honestly, I read in the dirt sheets that before this, because it was known for a week or two beforehand, Undertaker's probably not going to be coming and they're going to send Booker T over instead as a make good. And I read that and I was like, geez, is that going to go well, really? Booker T is a replacement for The Undertaker? But then you see this here and the fucking reception he gets is phenomenal. He is so over. It's almost like they should put the belt on him at WrestleMania 19. Honestly, I was going to say, it's not like it's undeserved or anything. He is so good here, so charismatic, so like undeniable that you can't take your eyes off him when he's performing it's such a piss take that he didn't get from this to being a legit main eventer i know it's the uk crowd and they're super fucking hot full stop but even by their standards tonight and and this is a crowd that even though they're hot they're not like the wwa crowds we had where it was like all right you're hot to the point of you're being too good to what you're being presented they cool off at points yeah they're not this hot for every main eventer like there are people tonight where i'm like oh i thought they'd get better than that but booker t he gets a fucking hero's welcome booker t and his opponent your creator wrestler from 2002 mad hardy i think i should have like cool big pants and like a t-shirt and like a long coat and like a special entrance and and, (laughs) he's he's a bit he's not quite a ryback but he is he is borderline over encumbered with his gimmicks here it's a lot and i know i'm sure we mentioned this on the exist to inspire book report 
but I still can't get over it every time I see this character. The fact that he chose to be version 1.0, like a buggy, unoptimized mess <laughs> that's just launched. Like 1.0 sounds so shit. There are these characters in wrestling, and I know this is in my head at the moment because we reviewed a Honky Tonk Man match for our Dusty Rhodes episode recently on how to wrestling. And we started talking about wrestlers who've got these characters you love because the gimmicks, they're shit, right? Yes. And they don't know it. And then you find out after the fact that they're really super protective of the gimmick. Yeah. Like, Honky Tonk Man doesn't think his gimmick is he is shit. Uh -uh. And Matt Hardy, certainly, if you watched any of those, you read any of those MySpace blogs back in the day, version one's a meaning of laugh, man. It's He's so fucking into it. And like, when he comes out and you're like, what's the character of Matt Hardy? Michael Cole goes, Taz, he's a fool. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing he says. There's nothing more disheartening to me than when you find out that the wrestler themselves aren't in on the joke with you. Like, you think there's this common understanding of like, oh yeah, this is what he's trying to do. And then you realize that like, oh no, we were laughing at him, not with him. Like, it's so gutting. They would do this gimmick around the time with Matt Hardy where it was like Bob Holly in the soup. It was actually exactly like Bob Holly with the soup super heavyweight gimmick you know what he's like my boys undertaker and big show ain't here tonight yeah the big shot they would have matt hardy he'd be involved in a beatdown on the undertaker and have Heyman going it's the most extreme thing i've ever seen and you will become the main eventer you're always meant to be matt hardy and brock's like laughing his ass off getting this jobber to go and try and beat up the undertaker and then matt's like yeah me and brock we're tat man you know we're, we're and later on like on those blogs he'd be like and you know when i was main eventing with brock on smackdown i thought my time had come man oh, it's like, do you not do you watch the fucking show yeah did you <laughs> see how you were being presented there like so i love version one and like i know matt's in a much different place now than he would have been like oh five and the stuff I'm referencing mm. he was in a fucking dark yeah. twisted messed up place and I doubt he thinks that now and Matt certainly doesn't take himself too seriously on AEW at the moment in 2021 but yeah there's a lot of characters I think who fit that mold in wrestling who you get the suspicion that they're not in on the show yeah it sucks which is one of the reasons why the Mean Street Posse's book was such a lovely read because it was very much like oh this guy knew exactly who he yeah. was and exactly what he was there to do and he was so in on the joke with us like and that was good to read Bob Holly's book as a comparison piece. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Big Shot was really cool. I liked going toe to toe with the Undertaker in the Big Show. And when the Big Show threw a van on me, it's because that was the only way in kayfabe it was believable <laughs> I would be beaten. <laughs> Matt Hardy stoking the discontent in the masses here, talking about European attitude. Uh, kind of a weak promo, even by UK standards, where you just kind of slip in the word Europe or whatever to make it a UK themed promo. Still very weak. We got two things in spades here at the start of this match. We got the goo goo and we got the gaga. Yep. There's all sorts of fucking hot dogging and grandstanding. This is the type of match that would make Randy Savage go, hot dogging. <laughs> This was great house show antics yep. with Booker T showing what they refer to on commentary. And I assume they're road testing this. <laughs> Bookitude. Little bit of Bookitude for you there, Taz. They're doing like a test of strength thing where they're both putting one hand up and they're going closer together to reach them. And every time they're about to touch, Booker takes his hand back and he looks at his palm doing like the five time thing. To which Rubbish. time, every time Matt Hardy's just like, oh, there's no counter for that. What am I going to do now? 
I love the Booker T five time taunt so much. I mm. absolutely love it as a heel, as a face, just the man looking mm. at his hand and becoming perplexed. I adore any wrestler who gets like, lost in the trance of their yeah. own taunt and like the curtains come down. I was, I had literally just written about the goo goo and the gaga, and Taz is like, I hate all this goo goo gaga stuff. <laughs> That's why they don't invite you to commentate on house shows, mate. You'd just be a right spoil sport. There is, you know, the odd spot here and there, but they're, they're yeah. working smart, not hard in this one. The crowd loves everything they're seeing. I would say I thought this was a bit much too in this first match where there was one bump mm. to then on the second bump break out the fucking double countdown spot. Yeah. Like, Whoa! Come on. Two! Buck is really tired from looking at his hand. Three! Oh. That test of strength took it out of them. Four! <laughs> Every scene that didn't have dialogue was considered for slow motion is basically what they're doing here. <laughs> like. Now, they, they start talking on commentary about how Edge is going to have his first ever WWE title match tonight in England. And it's going to be such a big deal. And we get some of... I mean, even by Taz's standards, I was shocked. I listened to this bit, no exaggeration, five times with headphones on, like trying to make out what he was saying. This is what we got here. Imagine if Edge wins the title here tonight in his hometown. He's from Canada, Taz. UK, Canada, it's all the same. They speak French, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Book a tea. They drink a lot of tea over here. Spot a tea at eight. Huh, eight. Eight balls. <laughs> Just to reiterate, that's... UK, Canada, it's all the same. They speak French, you know what I'm saying? Book a tea. They drink a lot of tea over here. Spot of tea at eight. Huh, eight. Eight ball. If our podcast ever reaches that level of randomness, someone send us a, a quick DM, will you? Just let us no, know. No, so someone send me to the fucking doctor, mate, because if that happens, <laughs> I need to get seen right away. Seen? What? See no evil. Came. <laughs> 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 Oh my god, I, I like the UK references here, mm -hmm. such as, He was a crumpet away from victory here, Cole! <laughs> now you see, what I love about this is that when Jerry Lawler would come to the UK, he would like look up some basic UK slang, and then he'd just say it on commentary where it's like, For us in the UK, I don't want to hear an American man just say the words fish and chips, that's not entertaining. Taz, all night, he keeps getting stuff wrong, like saying that something is a crumpet away. And that works so much better because we're just seeing this buffoon trying to fit in properly. It's like tough Brooklyn guy in fucking Manchester. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a point where he's like, I think he had too much of that brown beer they have over here. Brown beer. Brown beer. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I can't get the image of Taz drinking a nice warm pint of brown Newcastle ale or whatever it is he was visualizing. But it is more endearing than them trying too hard, I think. Yes, agreed. And th these two, I think if there's anything we can say about Cole and Taz, they're not trying too hard tonight. If anything, no. they're just kind of having fun. Booker T went up and I was like, oh shit, is he going to do the Houston hangover? The old spinning dangerous guillotine leg drop. Well, he did a very scary looking missile drop kick after that instead. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm glad he didn't do that Houston hangover because that would have probably ended quite badly for all involved. Jesus. We get the old scissors kick, Booker T wins what I would describe as a top tier nice little match. Honestly, that's the exact kind of match where I was like, I wish I was in the crowd for that. That is a perfect show opener to sort of, you know, the, the few occasions where I have been to see wrestling live, I know for a fact the first five or ten minutes I'm always like a little bit, 
oh, I, I, I'm a bit too anxious to, to chant or to shout anything. You want to be warmed up. You need to be warmed up. And this match is exactly perfect for that. I, I, by the end of this match, I would have been fucking screaming and getting well into it. The amount of times where I went to fucking wrestling shows, it's like, here's your eight hours of fucking 30 people. We don't have the heart to tell them they can't go 45 minutes. And no it's thanks. like one after the other, after the mm. other. I'm like, you know what? I don't actually fucking want this, please. Yeah. I'd I like a bit of pacing. It was, I mean... Matt went for a rest hold too many, I think, in a match where there were yeah. you could count the bumps on your hands. But there you go. That's that European attitude for you. And at the end of this match, I can confirm that Taz and Michael Cole have now entered into what Billy Keeble would refer to as Big Silly. <laughs> Taz, Taz makes himself laugh using the word alluding. What? He goes, alluding, alluding. <laughs> Oh, I don't know what happened that made me go from finding this shit really irritating to finding it really adorable, but I do find it adorable now. Like I can't get enough of this silly Taz. I'm a I'm a very very silly boy. I'm a very very silly boy when I get to see silly stuff like this as well, in particular. And that's why I said that at the end of this, Booker T did a spinnerino because that was. <laughs> It was very silly, all of this. To be fair, this this does need a name bigger than the Spinner Rooney because it wasn't just a Spinner Rooney. He like he did the Spinner Rooney and then he ended on his knees and span on his knees like an extra three hundred and sixty. Like it the was the king size. Honestly, the most ooper duper Spinner Rooney. <laughs> ooper Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Backstage, Paul Heyman is in the house. By which I mean. Paul Heyman's in fucking Manchester or the set of a porn because when he walks, I mean, whoa, <laughs> that really, really was a strange looking office for Stephanie McMahon to be in. And this just goes to show as well, heel or face, it doesn't matter. Stephanie will always have the last laugh and she will always no sell whatever it is that Paul Heyman's shouting about. What do you and your tiny little dick even want, Paul Heyman? <laughs> and Paul's like, can you believe here in Manchester that the main event is now a handicap match? And in that handicap match, there are some things you might want to consider, like I could be pinned and Brock Lesnar could lose. The champion is, I love Heyman, is the mm -hmm. master of, I'm scared and I gotta tell you all the permutations and the stipulations yeah. are you are you kidding me that in this three-way dance that one person will be eliminated and then the two more competitors will be in the <laughs> ring after that we learn in this segment as well which i hadn't realized this is the period of time where undertaker's hand has been broken by brock lesnar and oh! yeah <laughs> just Heyman then has to explain that because of the flight to manchester and the quick turnaround he doesn't have his his gear. He hasn't Aww. got his tights. He only has his twenty three hundred dollar suits. You know, Job over here demanding to be taken seriously <laughs> for his uh, for his match. I do like the idea of Heyman having like a silly wrestling outfit. I think if mm. you're going to put the the heel manager in a match, yeah, there's something about that that I think you need to you need to see them in some sort of a gimmick honestly eric bischoff in his gear yes like, is the absolute best fucking love it because it it just tells you a story about the character yeah. I mean, Heyman, the one thing i do like is later on Heyman. he does like he tapes his fists yeah. up like he's an ecw like he's going to be in a taipei death match or something <laughs> like that which i thought was really really funny but for me even though he's a piece of shit the god tier for this was uh jim Cornette. they did a match mm -hmm. back in the day between Cornette. And Jose Lothario, who was this sweet old man 
they made manage Shawn Michaels and he was a legend in wrestling and a legend oh, yeah. in San Antonio. So Shawn Michaels hated him and he's I hate this guy. This old bastard's stealing my spotlight. Kill him. I hate him. Like, I don't want anything to do with him. And it'd be great because Shawn Michaels would come out and Vince would be like, hey, Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothario. Well, that's quite a bit of distance he's got between them there. Shawn walking a little bit faster than Jose. <laughs> King, he can't keep up. But they did the match between Jose and Cornette and Cornette was managing Vader. And Cornette was like, you don't want to mess with me, Jose. You don't know what you're getting into. And then when he had the match, Cornette came out in this big inflatable red suit <laughs> that made him look like he was in like this special like dress up like Vader. And he had his tennis racket. He's like, I told you I'm huge. And he was wrestling this like, like he was the Michelin man. He'd take the bump and be like, whoa. Wow. And he bounced around. It was brilliant. And I would have killed to see just a little bit more thought. Just a teeny bit more thought. See, now you love that, but you didn't seem so keen on Michael Cole covering himself in bubble wrap for that fucking strap match, whatever it was he had in 2011. Yeah, and the stipulation of this match is if I win, you have to lick my feet and get covered in barbecue sauce. <laughs> what the fuck? Weird ass shit that was going Kinky shit. No, no rap with me, JR. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Jerry Lawler, your mom's dead. Yeah, what the fuck was Jesus. going on? That was 10 years ago. What yep. the fuck was going on? Fucking hell. We cut back to Taz, who's cosplaying as Jim Leahy winning Trailer Park Super Fighter <laughs> of the Year. Bless. And Michael Cole with the fucking jet black hair. The frosted tips are no more, baby. Ah, it's a new Michael Cole. This is ruthless aggression, Michael Cole. Mm. Completely different. We had a little recap of the history between Don Marie and Al Wilson and the music for this where it's like, uh-oh, she's stealing her father. What a wacky world we're living in, folks. And like, I get that Heyman has this fucking unbelievable control over all performers mm. to get them to... I'll ne always go back to Beyond the Man. People always talk about the, this is the dance, you know, that yeah. big hype up thing. But I've seen so many little clips now. I think we mentioned a recent episode. They show you in some of these WWE documentaries, they pull the camera back. You get to see Heyman or whoever it is interacting with the person after mm. the promo. And the amount of times where he literally grabs them, he's looking, he's like fucking Joe Biden grabbing them. And like, look in my eyes. You can do this. I believe that you can. And Don and Tori are treating this like they're going for a fucking Oscar. Yeah, it's, honestly. <laughs> the, the, it's not a tongue-in-cheek read for Don and Tori. It is for Al a bit. Mm -hmm. These two women are trying to treat this like it's the most serious fucking thing in the yeah. world. And it's because of Heyman. This is a Heyman construct. What did you think of this storyline as it was presented to you? What was going on with, with Don, Tori, and Al? I mean, I feel like I know the basic bullet points of this. This is all headed to a funeral is obviously where we're going. You take <laughs> you take one look at this storyline and you're like, oh, obviously it's going to end with this old guy dying. Yeah, like, It's one nude wedding and a funeral. That's what this uh, really big, depressing fucking uh, angle is. It's trash. I Ever since I first heard of it, I thought, oh, this is a trash angle. It's complete garbage that they only do for the fucking sake of having something salacious and sexy on SmackDown. But... What I hadn't realized is like what you say there, Tori Wilson and Dawn Marie actually do fucking give it socks. And I feel like there's been a big misconception over the years. And I feel like I, in the, especially in the first year or two of the podcast, I probably contributed to this. 
the idea that like the ruthless aggression era of divas wrestling they weren't talented performers they were just models that were brought in to look pretty or whatever but you honestly, can be a talented model you know that's, that, actually that's possible. it <laughs> honestly and i do feel like there are a subset of people now that are turning around and saying well actually i used to find the divas stuff really enjoyable when i was a kid and it inspired me to go on to become a wrestler or what have you and i do feel like it's worth saying that credit where it's due tori wilson and dawn marie are at least engaging performers and they are fucking they're going into this with both feet they're not fucking half arsing it because they know it's a crap trashy gimmick or whatever they're actually giving it a good go oh yeah i mean com- compare and contrast this to like remember we watched some of the wcw stuff with uh daphne and stacy keeper yeah, and david exactly Flair, and they were like jumping up and down like it was a fucking kids show it was ridiculous yeah, like so they were silly. intentionally making it as crap as possible and yeah they are trying here and a lot of things are bad about this angle and in the context of the time it was pretty ropey as well mm. particularly when you know they had gotten in hot water with the parents television council and now they felt like they were yeah. flaunting that they could do what they wanted this was an angle that Heyman concocted at least he had said in interviews and Don had said as well that the angle was kind of concocted to give Don Marie a foot in the door because right. Heyman wanted to get a lot of the women from ECW like Jazz and Francine and whoever it is he wanted to get them jobs and it was very difficult because, uh, you know, there wasn't much appetite for WWE to hire someone like Electra or Francine or whatever. Mm. And like, Dom Marie, very frank and upfront, she was hired by Paul Heyman in the Bada Bing strip club. The strip club is featured in The Sopranos. That's how oh. she got her foot in the door in wrestling. And she developed a passion for it, a love for it. She wanted to be involved. She wanted to go to WWE. And Heyman, it's one of those rare occasions of him actually going to bat for someone mm. and it not being like, ulterior motives or whatever it may be so whatever you say about this angle it got her on tv and she probably wouldn't have gotten on tv and they wouldn't have done this angle without someone like don marie in there it's even by their standards outside the pale when she says the line to al wilson out of the very few men that i've been with you were the most passionate lover i had and then they have a big fucking snog oh my god it's so fucking ridiculous i feel like we've been very fair and complimentary there but it is worth circling background and just reiterating this is fucking garbage kevin (laughs) really when it comes down to it this is crap and the ridiculous thing about it as well is like there is no actual end game here because they play it the whole time where dom marie's like i'm doing this to get to tory wilson it's like okay why are you doing it to get to Tori Wilson? Yes. And then they had it like, it was meant to be like a lesbian love angle. Surprise, surprise. Paul Heyman's twist was that it was a lesbian love angle. Who could have foreseen this coming? But then after they did that, no, the angle was that Don actually loved Al. And when she killed him by having too much sex, she was distraught and blamed Tori. Oh, and they had a stepdaughter sake. versus stepmother match where Don appeared wearing a black veil because it was after the fucking funeral. They also had a brawl at the wake, which was fabulous fabulous wrestling you know wrestling, just, baby. We, we can't just be wrestlers that want to be the best wrestler or go for the championship i guess there was no women's championship on smackdown was there so you have to have shit like this so we have john cena and don marie there's huh. a fucking there's an odds team taking on tory wilson and billy Kay, and that's a became a real life team aka a marriage and mm. then they broke up billy kidman that is folks not billy keeble or billy k from the modern roster oh yeah you gotta be joking me i can't believe i make a mistake <laughs> like that when tom marie comes out once again michael cole's there to fill in the blanks she's a predator taz jesus 
Is she? Is that what that is? That poor, vulnerable 58-year-old man. He's so vulnerable. Like, he's like a little boy. This, this predatory young woman. <laughs> My God. And here comes Taz once again, not really knowing what he thinks about all this, other than... Tori Wilson's a tomato, Cole. And Dawn Marie, she's from Jersey. So she's a tomato as well, Cole. I like Dawn Marie. And he says, I wouldn't mind if my mother looked like Dawn Marie. <laughs> Wait, what the hell am I saying? Yeah, Jesus, what are you saying, Taz? <laughs> Can we talk about this John Cena as well? Because, Kevin, I think I don't like it. I really don't <laughs> like it. Well, I think you should calm down. What's wrong? Why do you like John Cena? He's coming out in these weird little, like... Almost Spirit Squad-esque green shorts. No reaction. Absolute silence. That weird fucking music as you demonstrated there. And the, and it just it's not him at all. It's not even Ruth Ruthless Aggression Cena. It's just this weird nothing character. He's turned heel on Billy Kidman. They yeah. were, they were, there was kind of an overarching storyline in the background of this, which was there was kind of a tag team tournament they did for SmackDown's new tag team championships. Right. And they did the kind of battle bowl gimmick because, you know, Paul Heyman would never take any sort of a gimmick from WCW or Dusty Rhodes or anything like that. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. But they would have the unlikely pairings of partners. That's why later on you get Devon and Ron Simmons and you mm-hmm. also had John Cena and Billy Kidman team up and they did the whole thing where in the match... Kidman gets attacked by Cena because he he gets annoyed with him not being a good partner. Right. So again, that's that's more great Heyman booking here. And it's funny how you can look at something that seems so simple and it'd be like, it's genius! Having a tournament that can take care of a lot of storylines in the back burner. Yeah. Man, that's some good, easy wrestling right there. I'd watch that up. I lo- That's why things like even the Mixed Tag Team Challenge, where you can tell a bunch of different stories at once. It's like what the Royal Rumble's good for. You know, yeah. you can tell a bunch of stories at once. It feels like nowadays when they do that, they do keep it as like a separate affair. Like the yeah. Mixed Match... Um, was it Mixed Match Classic? or whatever match, shit. Mixed Match Challenge. The Mixed Match Challenge felt very much... Like, it was good. It was really good. You got these interesting pairings and little mini storylines and everything, but it did feel like it was a, a non-canon special event or whatever. Like it was separate from the main show. This here, you can see that SmackDown itself is being written like a TV show is written. And you've got all these stories that interconnect and like cross over with each other but they are still also their own isolated separate storylines at the same time it's it's really good stuff and you quite frankly you don't get it anywhere near as often as you should in wwe and how did paul Heyman manage to produce a wrestling show that was like dynamic different from what was happening on monday night raw as well that's most important well what they wanted to do was create a sense of like actual competition between the brands mm-hmm. so they would have separate meetings yep. between the raw writing team and the smackdown writing i've heard team. about this and uh Heyman would uh <laughs> hack the phones as it were and he would get himself onto the raw calls and find out what was going on and they only found out one time because he think he had a he had his a, a baby had just been born and he was like he fell asleep or something like that he was up all night and like they, they, they found him on the call then. He was asleep. Right. So, yeah. Poor <laughs> old Heyman. But hey. Poor old Heyman. Working smart, baby. That's what it's all about. Tory Wilson welcomed into Manchester with the most Manchester sign ever. Tory Wilson. Have it. For fuck's sake. Have it. Have it was written as one word as well. Have it. Have it. Now. It is 2002, mm-hmm. and we're going with some racy storylines. Mm. Uh, Michael Cole, as the voice of reason and our collective conscience as watching, it kind of speaks to some of the gaps in 
what we're meant to think about this. Mm-hmm. Very early in the match, Don Marie, and they're doing the whole thing where Don's trying to hide from Tori. Don gets dragged into the ring by Billy Kidman. And Billy puts Don over his knee. And they're going to yeah. do the old, oh, take her to the woodshed. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> take her to the woodshed. Yep. Now, there's no shortage of, of, of spankings in wrestling, of men yep. doing it to women. And I don't know if Don Marie's trying to fuck with everyone, but the way she screamed when she got spanked Jesus. was 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 far from titillating, let's just say. It was yeah. a Oh, you've been in that position before. Tell us what that feels like. In my opinion, Don deserves it. Ah, it was like she was being stabbed over and over Jesus. again. Jesus. And what does Michael Cole say at the sound of this woman? shrieking for her life oh god taz in my opinion she deserves this jesus and i sh- i shit you not a minute later cena does a body slam on tori wilson yep. and that ain't right cole that's wrong man <laughs> i don't agree with that me the heel telling you now this is out of line john cena fucking slamming his fellow nsa colleague tori wilson here <laughs> like a dirty prick this is, this is intergender, not a mixed tag. Like, So this is all okay. This is totally above board in this world. Yeah, it was very odd what happened here because Cena does the slam and Michael Cole refers to it as a low blow, I mean low brow maneuver, <laughs> Taz. And then right after that, Cena gets low blowed. Yeah. And <laughs> Cena being low blowed, now there's a cell, folks. Oh my God. <laughs> You you could put any sort of high-pitched whistling over that still image. Let me tell you, John Cena looks like he's found gold and he's whistling how happy he is when he takes that low blow. Cartoon is selling from Cena for the most part. Mm. Dawn and Tori, they do the rolling around spot like two or three times in this. They roll oh. in and out with the ring. Like. Yeah, Billy Kidman gets what I call the Jerry Springer spot, which is where you have two ladies just roll over you and somehow you get incapacitated from it. Now, if you're meant to do the proper Jerry Springer spot, you do that and then you get up and you kind of shrug or you kind of go, whoa. Like sometimes the ref would do that and they like dust themselves off and be like, whoa, what happened there? Billy Kidman, it happens. And the woman who won't be his wife, her ass goes right in his face. Mm. And afterwards he gets up and does a, yeah, come on, baby, don't want your mom. Up against Jesus. the ropes, like, you know, yeah, come on. Fight, like a baby face with fiery white hot heat firing up the crowd because he's had a bum in his face. A mistress roll over him. Yep. And everyone's like, Oi, Billy Kidman. <laughs> Fuck's Avis. Sorry, I hate to hold your feet to the fire on this one, Kevin, but I do need to correct you and just say that if it is a true Jerry Springer spot right there, then you have to get stretched out of the building just like Jerry Springer was when that happened to him. Wait, what? <laughs> do you know, I remember the Bella Twins rolled over him. They did this oh, exact spot. Yeah. And it was like, oh boy, I bet Jerry Springer feels really lucky right about now. And then he got stretched away. <laughs> And then it's like, and now for my final thought, and it's like that nice background in him on like, beep, beep, beep. (laughs) We get from Billy Kidman, that maneuver, we've talked about it before. Now there's nothing nicer Mm. in the world, Adam, than a shooting star press. And Billy Kidman was the man for many years who was like, I'm the only one who can do this dangerous move. And since then, everyone from Shane McMahon to Evan Bourne. Brock Lesnar. Yeah, shooting star presses have become... A dime a dozen, and they've been done so well that you can look back on these ones and go, you know what? I was silly to appreciate what we had back then. <laughs> and I rechristen it now, officially, the Shiting Star Press. Aww. Billy Kidman, accept your award for most dangerous maneuver of 2002 as he lands once again, thigh first onto the face of mm. his opponent. 
Fucking hell. If that's it, it's so hard to try and aim yourself to land in a safe way. To quote Billy Kidman's upcoming theme song, when I see that, all I can say is, nah, nah, hey, hey. <laughs> Don't do it anymore, please. You, why don't you do that uh, BK bomb instead? That was a much cooler move. The Burger King bomb, baby. And then afterwards... He has a big kiss with Tori Wilson. Oh, no. oh, he gets a big snog in front of the crowd. Backstage, Egg is interviewed by Michael Cole, who's Oof. here to talk about his Egg Army. And that's what I refer to as Sunday brunch when I've got a recording For later. Sake, I will make an, I'll make an Egg Army just to kind of get me through. This is ropey shite here. I felt sure seeing Edge after he became King of the Ring in 2001, I was like, oh yeah, this lad is really close to being a babyface main eventer. He's got all the skills. And here, Jesus wept, this promo sucks. It was so bad. I mean, I thought, you know, I was taking... I was taking Rob Zombie's word for it that he was a ringer number 45, you know, uh, but <laughs> I, I will hey, say with a Hey, that, that's a Durango number 95, I'll have you Excuse say. me, excuse me, my, my apologies. The, the one thing about this promo I will say that I did like was that it actually lowered my expectations. Because when I heard at the start, yeah. like, Edge and, Edge and Brock and Heyman, it's going to have enough gaga, it's going to have enough, like, solid wrestling and mm -hmm. someone with something to prove and Brock having a non-typical match. I was like, this is really exciting. Then Edge does his promo where he's like, mm. kiss, man. And I'm like, all right. I don't know if I'm as excited about this anymore because he seems kind of nervous. Yeah, he, do, he does seem nervous. He doesn't seem sure of himself. He says he's going to win tonight in front of the Manchester chapter of the Edge Army. Cool. And the way he says it, you can tell that he knows this is never going to get over. He's going to give it up in a couple months. Coming up next, very much in the, ah, they love wrestling here. We can put any old shite in front Aww. of them. Hey, not that I'm complaining. It's Funaki taking on <sighs> Crash Holly. Funaki is over as fuck in Manchester, baby. Well, not immediately. When he comes out, it's kind of silent, and the commentator's not even saying anything. He's just walking out to the ring really quietly. But then he gets on the mic, and I was like, oh, no, this is going to be awkward. But everyone's well into his shtick. Like, he's, got, he's doing the whole SmackDown number one gimmick at the minute, and everyone in the uh, UK seemingly is well on board with it. I'll tell you what. I pray that any time WWE goes to another country we get fucking salient on the nose perfect verbiage like this for for the uk funaki refers to himself as smackdown's number one announcer but because tonight he's here in manchester he is smackdown's number one top man <laughs> top man yes he's been to top man He's seen all the things they've got on sale. And Crash Holly coming out. And you know, he hasn't oh. seen Crash Holly in a while. This guy's nuts, Taz. He's nuts. This guy's nuts. And then they talk about how he's got like two chickens, a couple of dogs and a cat. Like that's like meant to make him fucking mad. Oh, menagerie of madness, brother. That's crazy. He's also stopped dyeing his hair bleach blonde. And he's officially just Crash, not Crash Holly. Like they don't say Holly at any point. Oh, man, he does join up with the, the Matitude era. And, really? Uh, yeah, so Shannon Moore becomes the, the Matitude follower, and then Shannon gets Crash as his moron, his, his oh, Shannon Jesus. Moore follower. And the best thing about it was that when Crash would come out, instead of having the Matitude, like, you load up to the 100%, oh, yeah, yeah it would load up to, like, 25%, and then the Titan Tron would crash, and he'd come out with this, like, Okay, I do actually like that. That's good. Oh, yeah, it's great. And he even did a little stint in TNA before he passed. He was like Mad Mikey. Right. And they did all these vignettes where he's like, oh, I'm angry at the world, cousin. You know, he'd like do road rage and he'd freak out in lines for things. Doesn't like being told that he's short. You know, oh, man. 
Crash, we said it before, what one of the great, great, great performers of this era yeah. that just man before time what a great fucking legend he was he was a legend in his own right you know and i really wish we got to see more of him it was really sad and seeing that he was in wwe for like kind of a year or two and they didn't do anything with him that's that's it that's what is sad is that we know he's capable of so much and here he's coming out just looking so rudderless and directionless like it's really a shame and you know there was that period when you had the invasion and had all these guys come in and I, you know, I've listened to the likes of Lance Storm talk about this at length about the weirdness of having all these guys coming in knowing that people are losing at the very you know at the best case scenario people are going to lose spots worst case scenario people are going to lose jobs and yeah. both things happened mm-hmm. and then you get to this point where it's like hey it's the brand split now we've brought back a few of the old names like Goldust and Godfather and mm-hmm. Val Venus and fucking Mr. Perfect's over on Raw and we've managed to maybe bring in some of them WCW, ECW guys and work them in. But the people who lost out during your invasion, like Crash Holly disappeared, yep. you know, X Pac disappeared, yep. fucking, you know, so many wrestlers kind of disappeared. SA Rios, like talented performers you had nothing for. D'Lo Brown, I could go on. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back. It's like, you know what? We have had a chance for a reshake and we still have nothing for Crash Holly. Yeah. I don't get that, really. You know, it's really sad. This match takes the fucking Gaga to the whole new level. It is is headband on a pole, this match is. It's fucking shite. Yeah, Crash pulls out a headband with like a little rising sun on it and he wears it on his head and he starts doing all these karate moves and everything. And then Funaki just kicks his ass. (laughs) It is funny. I feel like when... Taz starts making fun of Crash for wearing the headband. He's like, hey, he's like Ralph Maggio and the Karate Kid. I'm like, you're like fucking Ralph Maggio and the Karate Kid. Have you seen that movie? He's like, oh, my, the Cobra Kai after me. I got to get Joey Numbers and Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs after him. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, not much happens. We kind of go nah. back and forth with the headband, a couple of kicks here and there. Fanaki gets the roll up. He gets the win. A bit of a pop. Send the crowd home happy. But there's a whole show to go still. And Nivea's in the house. We see Nydia walking around backstage and she walks past someone that works in the building and just does like the biggest fucking PU kind of face. And she goes and finds Jamie Noble and they agree that everyone here smells really bad and the women have got hairy arms. So let's win and get the fuck out of here back to God's country, West Virginia. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently like West Virginia, some folks are telling me West Virginia is just this punchline that's used a lot, often a lot in wrestling. It's kind of like, oh, it's the worst place. And I think West Virginia kind of is one of those places that kind of gets a bit of a bad rep. And like Jamie Noble being from West Virginia and Nydia, them together, that's meant to be like a pop at West Virginia. Oh, everyone there lives in a trailer, etc., etc. Interesting enough, Nydia, I know we talked about her a little bit in our Tough Enough reviews, mm-hmm. and we were always a fan of Nydia here in the podcast. She came out of hiding, has done a few interviews in the last few months. Really? She has, yeah. Oh, nice. She talked a little bit about some of the uh, ups and downs of being in, in wrestling, and... Mm-hmm. Random fact that I cannot believe is true. Nydia, at one point, got fined $10,000 for going to a Hooters with Victoria because Victoria was a face and Nydia was a heel. What? $10,000? Get fucked. Because as we all know, 2002 and 3 was when we really had to keep the guard up about kayfabe. Absolutely. Fucking ridiculous. We want everyone to think that the Katie Vick story was real, so we've got to be extra protective of our storylines these days, folks. Fucking hell. 
anytime anyone says the best part of their time in wrestling was in developmental and not on the main roster that usually speaks kind of volumes to me she Mm. she had a lot of nice things to say about ovw and you know nick dinsmore and randy orton and shell benjamin the people she hung out with there she didn't have much to say about uh uh, about her main roster run let's Mm. just say but again i will always point out nidia for someone who's got you know, as many months wrestling experiences I have fingers on my hand at this point, she fucking hit the ground running. Deep end, thrown in, a character that has to do a lot and be involved a lot. I thought she does a really good job here as this character. Honestly, in terms of like the standards that we currently have nowadays for wrestling, she's not fantastic as like a character or a performer. But when you consider just where she came from and her background and how little time she's really had at this point, she's like fucking... 18 months into her entire wrestling career at this point crazy it's pretty fucking shocking how competent and how good she actually is and jamie noble here just you know <laughs> i i think he's a fucking unbelievably talented performer yeah and definitely one of the people who fits in that category that as a kid i didn't really rate him because i'm like he's the heel boo mm. and now you realize like whoa this guy fucking incredible the brain's on him and you can hear snippets here and there about random stuff that's happened in WWE in the last few years. Like, that was fucking awesome. Chances are Jamie Noble had a hand in it because that mm. lads, you know, the, here's an example. You know that amazing triple threat ladder match that they did with the handcuff spot and Sami Zayn and all that? Yes. That was all his idea. So, huh. you know, the man's, the man's a fucking fountain of knowledge. An absolute hell of a worker. And I thought, that Jamie Noble did a grand package here. We have Rey Mysterio doing a breeze. He's in his locker room. We can see him from behind. And he's just like going like... <laughs> and then he turns around and gets his face right in the camera and he goes... <sighs> and then he he runs away. Like, what the, what the fuck's up with this dude? Give me big reject Shannon Moore and bringing sexy back oh. vibes to it. It was kind of awkward. He's pretty much brand new at this point, right? In terms of WWE. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fre- fresh out the package is, uh, is yeah. Rey Mysterio here. And you wouldn't mind, you know... What, what a great fucking place to land on your feet. You're on SmackDown. They've got the new Cruiserweight division, yeah, which is, he's going to be the basis of. you got Paul Heyman knocking around here at the helm, and he absolutely knows how to book Rey Mysterio. He was the first man to book Rey Mysterio in the United States. Huh. And I just, I love that Heyman is so good at building characters with these little visual moments. Like, I always think of, you know, seeing Lesnar, his, his, just his back tattoo and him mm. flexing. You turn around, that's how you present a character. Ray's made him seem like he was a wrong in here. Like yeah, I didn't like creepy. it. If you see it, say it. And I've seen it and I'm saying it. That's all I'm saying here. Ray was a bit of a creep at this point. Triple threat action. Three-way dance with eliminations in effect. Paul Heyman style. Tajiri, Jamie Noble, and Ray Mysterio. I am really, really excited about this. Honestly, what a combination. We're going to see some fucking amazing wrestling from these three. I forget who said it, Cole or Taz, but trying to save face, talking about how, you know, they just insulted all the women in Manchester. Someone on commentary said, the women here are all gorgeous to some degree. To some degree. Fucking hell. You can't just say something nice, can you? You can't, can Fuck you? me. <laughs> Very upset about the disrespect for the business that Rey Mysterio showed coming oh, out wearing a hat. Dude, wearing a beanie over his you, mask. You disrespect this business. You dis- You piss yourself. Why are you coming out wearing this hat? <laughs> Unbelievable. This is great. 
fast and fancy action all three men in the ring i love this stuff absolutely you got the flips of mysterio the kicks mm-hmm. to tajiri and jamie noble fits that nice spoiler the ground attack the tiger bomb is his finisher he's a great what's the word he's like a, a hench small guy like you need those yeah. dudes the, the bullies in the smaller in the smaller weight class someone who's going to be in there to ground and pound and not necessarily to be doing flips and, and dives and all that stuff jamie noble is the spoiler here and it's great that's it i like it because out of these three as well he's the biggest character he's the one that's always doing like the big stuff like playing to the crowd and having the big moments with nidia or whatever during the match and his wrestling style, even though he's a cruiserweight, his wrestling style matches that perfectly. Like, he is more dirty. He's a bit more of a jerk, and he wrestles it. like it. Yeah, he, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Lil Guido in ECW, who became mm. Nunzio. And here's a fun fact for all of you fact finders back, back at home. In kayfabe, Jamie Noble and Lil Guido, a.k.a. Nunzio, are cousins. Huh. Okay. Which makes very little to no sense that the redneck from West Virginia has got a wise guy as his cousin. Big family, mate. A very big family. A broad church indeed. Mm -hmm. The noble Guido clan. But that is how he was brought in. I have a lot of time for wrestlers being introduced as like long lost family members and stuff like that. More of that. I never forget that Ric Flair wanted to get into the sport of professional wrestling as Dusty Rhodes' cousin rambling ricky Rhodes, oh, oh, i just want to be like you dust i'm sorry <laughs> oh man jamie noble works the crowd here because they give him the who are you treatment he's oh. like i'm jamie noble boy <laughs> i know he, he shouts what's my name and everyone just starts going who are you who are you? it's so wonderfully british <laughs> We get the Tiger Bomb pretty early on to Tajiri, and Tajiri is eliminated. Yeah, I will say, when I saw that, Tajiri gets eliminated in, like, it feels like two or three minutes. And I was like, yeah, oh, he's gone quick. okay, I guess we're going to get a pretty short match here. But then the rest of it, Jamie Noble versus Mysterio, does go on for a good ten minutes or so, I think. I feel bad for Tajiri getting kicked out so soon. That's Heyman 101. And really? Tajiri, who was part of Heyman's, like... Heyman loved to put on them three-way dances. That was like the mainstay of his later shows, 99 onwards in particular. Mm -hmm. So Tajiri is probably more than used to being in a three-way dance where someone leaves after a minute. What Heyman would like to do sometimes, his kind of, his dusty finish or whatever it is, his his kind of, one of his tropes was that he would do the three-way dance, the champion's in there, the champion's the first guy out after like a minute. And then it's like, whoa, we're going to have a new champion? That's different. That's more exciting, that is, yeah. Here, it just kind of feels like you wanted to do Jamie Noble versus Rey Mysterio, and he also Mm. wanted to get Tajiri on the card, but not that much. (laughs) Yeah, legit. At least he got a payday. Jamie works Rey's arm, and Cole, with the light of the night, Jamie Noble seems to be turning Nidia on, Taz. Oh, Jesus wept. No. Oh. The uh, ECW faithful are here tonight in Manchester, but there's not enough of them, so they can't decide whether they want to chant she's a crack whore Ugh. or she has herpes. So we get she's a herp whore, and that doesn't me. really do much for anyone in the crowd. So cool yeah. job, everyone. Once uh, we get into the stretch, Nidia starts interfering loads. Yeah. And... I think there is a, a subtle art to being the person who interferes loads and it doesn't seem shit. And we came across a lot of that in the Attitude Era Season 1. Tennessee Lee. With some legends of the wrestling business. And Nidia, you know, with her, with her few months to train or whatever, I think she does really good. The, the, the breakups, the near falls, the ref distractions, it gets the crowd into it. Mm-hmm. The crowd feel like they want to shit on this because they don't know who Jamie is. And they earn the crowd's support i think as the match goes on that's it yeah i feel like the, the crowd really couldn't give a fuck about this they obviously like mysterio but they couldn't give a fuck about noble but 
the interplay between Noble and Nydia is so easy to follow and easy to understand that they can't help but get into it by the yeah. end of this match. We have the Tiger Bomb by Noble and Ray kicks out of it. And once again, Haven's hands all over this. You can hear them be like, oh, no one's ever kicked out of the Tiger Bomb. I'm yeah. pretty sure. I say, all right, okay. Every fucking little moment like this, we have to embellish mm -hmm. to the max. I don't think it means a lot here for the fans in Manchester that someone has kicked out of Jamie Noble's finisher that isn't over yet. I also bet this doesn't count and like next time someone kicks out of a tiger bomb in America on TV then that'll be the actual first time someone's ever kicked out of the tiger bomb. And I guarantee you by the time that happens Jamie Noble will have a new finisher because nothing <laughs> screams I'm a redneck from West Virginia like a finisher called the tiger bomb. <laughs> Nidia assists Jamie with a quick roll-up. He manages to get the pin on Rey Mysterio. And then to send the crowd home happy, we got a 619 to both Jamie and Nidia at the same mm -hmm. time, which they call, that's going to be a 12-21-18, Cole. And it's like, no, it's a 12-38. 619 plus 619 is... Uh, no, look, I, I, I think they I did. showed I showed my workings. Yeah, he's literally got the workings there. I think they weren't looking at it as 619. They did like double six, double one, double nine, 12, two, 18. Could you imagine going to a restaurant with these pricks? Because you're fucking about, <laughs> no, you see what it is, is I added up the one and the zero, so I don't owe you $20, <laughs> I owe you two. Fuck off. <laughs> Come on here. Backstage. But you know what? You fit in quite nicely here in England. With your bad teeth and all. <laughs> oh, 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 you're you're just too funny, Kurt. You know what? Your damn lucky Stephanie's stipulation suspension is in effect tonight. Because if it wasn't, I'd kick your ass right here, right now. Oh, is that so? Yeah, you're damn right. Listen, we've got to defend these WWE Tag Team titles tonight. So you just follow my lead and we'll be just fine. You kick my ass. Well, you got it all wrong, pal. Because it'd be me kicking your ass. Oh, it's true. It's bloody freaking damn true! Oh, this was golden. I, I love this. I, I loved and hated this in equal measure, I'm not going to lie. Why did you love it? Why did you hate it? I loved it because Kurt Angle is so good and so charismatic. I hated it because Chris Benoit is so weird and so fucking awkward. <laughs> like, I, I can't help, but every time I see Benoit, even in 2002 here where he's well established, I still get the sort of quote the crippler no more vibes of like, oh, he's not quite there. He's not confident in this. Oh, I think it was just more a little bit creepy because when they started him doing sing-song stuff... That's it. He says to Kurt Angle, like, who wanted Unforgiven? Who beat you on SmackDown? It's like, dude, you're the fucking rabid Wolverine. What the fuck Mary is this? Oh, see, I you think it's kind of kiddy and childish. I see, hate it. For me, like, let's just play that clip of Benoit again, but I'm going to play a discordant jack-in-the-box winding up slowly. Who won at Unforgiven? Who won at Unforgiven? Hmm? Who beat you on SmackDown? 
who beat you one smack down. Hmm? That proves that I am the better wrestler, which makes me the team captain. You know what I mean? It's just... That's mm. only because it's Chris Benoit. That's the oh, only reason oh, why that, that works. You're going to keep on your network. It's going to fucking come up, isn't it? Mm. Like, you know? So, Kurt is annoyed with Benoit because they are mismatched tank team partners yep. who both want to be the team captain. I know this is something we see a lot in wrestling. You know, mm. I'm the tag team champions. I'm the tag team yeah. champions. But the important thing about this is the trope is never the issue when you're doing the same thing over and over again. I think oftentimes the issue is finding characters that give a unique spin on this trope. Yes. That's why Team Hell No and this is completely different. Exactly. These guys are so competitive and they hate each other because they want to be the best. Mm -hmm. And they can't kind of... Their brain doesn't work in thinking that you could have a partner to share that with. And it's different with the likes of Brian and, and Kane and stuff when you do that other ways. I think it works well here because I feel I get a better sense of Benoit and Kurt's character in this little package. Because after after Kurt's big face run and his kind of heel turn and all that jazz after the invasion, I think he's a bit damaged goods character-wise. Mm. I think they kind of turned him back and forth a little bit just for the ease of booking. And this gave you a real, like, here's a little bit of the lovable Kurt Angle that you all like, but a little bit of that intense, nasty Kurt Angle we're yeah. going to see more of in the next few years as we go forward. Because these two here, like, they're playing it for yucks, but it feels like it's going to explode at any second. That's it. I feel like Kurt is so capable of comedy, and I just feel like Benoit really hasn't got the comedy chops to you could easily just keep this as like a relatively it doesn't have to be fully serious storyline no. but you could do it in a way that's not like so based on humor because it is a great like they've got great chemistry as wrestlers and this is a great story that they're trying to tell with these two it's just stuff like kurt says that benoit's got bad teeth like everyone here in england oh benoit's response is he goes ha, 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 you're so funny kurt and it's like dude come on just fucking just smack each other or something this stuff you're doing now is so lame how many teeth do you stop have? it stop it mary had uh, <laughs> sorry i'm just doing the boogeyman now i realize <laughs> <laughs> i wrote down here it's Van Damme, oh. true. Which is usually what happens when Kurt Angle says something so cringy, I can't bring myself to write it down. Well, thankfully I did. It was, oh, it's true. It's bloody freaking damn true. And I, I got a serious flashback to Shane Douglas in the WWA going, cut the bloody damn music. Then tonight, everyone here is going to be legendary. Oh. Yeah, baby. Coming up next oh, on Velocity, off. it's Val Venus and Chuck Palumbo taking on Devon and Farouk. Sorry, I've just received a word in my ear. Uh -uh. It's the big Valbowski and Chuck Palumbo taking on Devon and get this, Ron Simmons. So we've had a few name changes. <sighs> oh my God, Devon Dudley in the weeds here. He's common name. Right. Got no gimmick. He's common name. Devon. Yeah. 
Devon comes out with his Reverend Devon music, wearing regular Devon clothes. Farouk doesn't get his own entrance. He comes out with Devon under the name Ron Simmons. They both look furious as well. Honestly, all four of these guys look angry. Chuck Palumbo comes out to Val Venus's porn star music. Val Venus not wearing a towel, not doing the porn star gimmick, but also he is now known as the Big Valbowski officially. And they keep calling him Valbowski as well. Yeah. Why do none of these men have gimmicks? What's going on in here? Uh, maybe it's because they had too much of that brown beer here tonight, Adam. I don't For know. For sake. Now, I want to tease apart a couple of things here because, surprisingly, there's not a lot to talk about in this match. And if you nope. think we're going to waste our breaths talking about Val Venus, who thinks that everyone's a pedophile, well, no. We won't be talking about that freak on this podcast ever again in any sort of capacity other than his matches. Devon Dudley, did you catch what the shirt said? No, what did it say? So it was the fish, the Christian fish, and on it said Devon, and on the back it said, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> okay, so you could just take sections of the Bible and make that your gimmick now, I guess. I thought he was going to make it into a pun or something. So no, no, he's, he's Rever- he is still Reverend Devon here. He you is, say he is so. Reverend Devon, and we know this because... After the match, he does his Reverend Devon dance, which is this. Oh, that's part of the Reverend gimmick, because I thought that was just him being weird. <laughs> no, it's, just the, it's the Reverend Devon gimmick. You know what? I think the Reverend Devon gimmick, and this is so fucking stupid I'm saying this, I really liked it when I was a kid. I absolutely mm. did. I thought it was great, mainly because of the way they introduced it. Because the Dudley boys got split up in the draft. And Vince McMahon did it. Because he was like, Rick's like, I'm going to take Bubba Ray because I want the Dudleys. And Vince is like, well, fuck you. I'm taking Devon. Mm-hmm. And Devon came in and he was like, why did you do it? Why did you, did he broke it up? And he's so broken up. And then the next week, Vince is like, you want to fight me, pal? And Devon's like, oh, I thought I wanted to fight. But then I spoke to the man upstairs testify and i'm like yeah because devon always did say testify and thou shalt not this and that and it was like devon always had this evangelicism in the back of his mind and without his brother it took over his whole brain and then it was like devon kept raising money for the children's fund and they cut in smacked at him walking around going give money my brother testify and batista would have all the money in a lockbox yeah but he was stealing the money wasn't he because oh, he, he was stealing fuck. the money. Now, this was pretty much what the brother love gimmick was back in the 80s. And they were like, we wanted to satirize the likes of you know Billy Graham and these kind of evangelical Christians who were taking money. I was going to say, this is also exactly what fucking George South did in real life when the Hardy Boys were working for him as children. Because yeah, he was like raising money for a homeless orphan and then just put it all in his pocket at the end of the day. Now, if you want to know my, my thoughts on Catholicism and all that jazz, I've got another podcast called Cinema Swirl. <laughs> but... But like I I remember liking it as a kid because I thought, yay, mm. I'm seeing something that's dominating my life being satirized. Yeah. But it was probably in poor taste. And also, like, where do you go with this? And the fact that Devon is here, seemingly between gimmicks, wearing like army fatigues and teaming with Ron Simmons, who by the way, has just no gimmick. He's just working heel tonight for no reason. So is is Ron now anti masturbation as a result of tagging with Devon? Has he been converted or something? I must be, they've come around and he's seen the light because you're right, Reverend Devon did get interrupted by Ron Simmons who mm-hmm. was like, very famously, loved masturbation. He loved masturbation. But they were put together in the tag team turmoil. I think it was kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of, you know, we're a good team. We should get rid mm. of our gimmicks and be shit. <laughs> 
I, I honestly, it's, it's got to just be WWE's classic thing that they still do today, where it's like, these guys are both black. Let's put them together. Yeah. They, they must have loads in common. They do it all the fucking time, nonstop. Val Venus and Chuck Palomo, they both like women. Yeah, you know? <laughs> oh, God, I forgot that's part of Chuck's character now. Chuck, Chuck Palumbo's character, he's just one of the guys. That's it, like, you know, he's one of the dudes. This is a fucking shite, shite it's match. It's so Robert. You can tell all four of these lads couldn't give a fuck about being here. And I kind of, you know... I would always, you know, in SmackDown Crawl would go to bat for, for Val Venus as an in-ring performer around, mm-hmm. you know, that time period. We, you know, we, we've just come past his great feud with Rikishi, all the stuff he did with Trish and TNA. Probably the best work of his career as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. And I always thought, well, you know, he's a good hand. You can put him in there in any situation and he'll make sure you have the WWE standard match. And mm-hmm. look, yeah, it's the UK. You're still on pay-per-view. The miscommunication timing, it was really poor. Really poor. This is shocking. Because, yeah, as much as I don't give a fuck about these four gimmickless lads, and they clearly don't give a fuck about being here, there's a lot of talent still in the ring here. There's, yeah. You know, there's some capable men. I'm not a big fan of Chuck Palumbo, but the other three, at least, they're very capable wrestlers. Devon, always have a lot of time for Ron Simmons, I think, is a is a truly exceptional athlete. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think he's a legend in wrestling. And think, he is. Is that the best? I mean, it's so weird to see Ron's, like, Ron Simmons at this age working heel and being like, what are you going to do about your boy now? Like, talking to the crowd as a yeah. heel. Like, this is just wrong. <laughs> like, you know. He's, he's wearing tights that say Ron Simmons on them. Come it's on, so man. weird. Just call him Farouk. That's what everyone knows him as. It's coming out here. These guys literally coming out here looking like they've gotten the rights for their image, but not their gimmicks for some shitty mobile yes. wrestling game that's yes. coming out. Download Ron Simmons now as part of the Platinum Pack with his iconic finisher, the Ron Simonator. <laughs> we get a, a line from Taz here on commentary that, like, it's 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 racist, but also I just want to say that it's very inaccurate as well because he's saying that like I saw Ron Simmons backstage earlier and he said damn because he found out they don't sell fried chicken here in the UK. Mate, Yikes! There's a fucking AFC, SFC, or a TFC, whatever you want, on every fucking corner in England. You can't move without finding fried chicken around here. Come on, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and this is you're talking about Manchester, right? And mm-hmm. I will I will go to bat to defend the fast food of Manchester. This is the this is the house that fast food fucking built, alright? This is the town that gave us burger slush and burgergasm okay <laughs> talking fucking mess and yeah i mean it's good that you bring that up because that i didn't i didn't catch that i i, I that skimmed over my head like i didn't hear it when i was watching and mm. in fairness the nwa television show that got derailed when Cornette said something to that yeah effect. jesus you're the difference right. was that was in 20, 2019 or 2020 so i guess yeah a you know, couple decades difference there a couple of decades difference there the crowd start doing the worst thing that can happen with a hot crowd in the uk they start cheering about any old shot and we don't know what it is yeah there's a bit where chuck palumbo starts doing like some boxing jabs like he's got his guard up and he's doing proper jabs like a proper mate a proper bloke (laughs) the crowd goes apeshit even to the point where taz and michael cole are like wow the crowd seem to really like boxing cole and then he does it again and the crowd don't make a peep and taz is like oh i guess they didn't like it after all like they're they're literally just openly talking about how weird the crowd is definitely a fight happening in the stands or something something's got a beach ball or something maybe maybe they got that new shipment of brown beer in here maybe for sake (laughs) a couple of a couple of warm ones with the boys you know oh here here we go so we get the roll up and chuck palumbo 
it was less the fucking full moon and more the third day in Majora's Mask. Oh. This Jesus fucking Christ! You want to see the inside of Chuck Palumbo? You want to see a fucking transection of Chuck Palumbo's interior? There you go. Honestly, there's an art form to doing the exposed boom. Look at Triple H. You expose about like half, two thirds of the arse. Nah, uh, Devon gets a big fucking handful and shows us basically the anus of Chuck Palumbo. For me, it goes Rick. Then Triple H, then Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, the ego comes. I'm not rating their asses, by the way. That's a different list. Oh, I'm rating, oh, okay, fair enough. I'm rating their ability to incorporate the bare ass into yeah. the into the match. And obviously, the ring general Triple H likes to pop it in now and then. I think Shawn Michaels, unfortunately, a little bit of the ego got in the way there. It kind of clouded the ass a little bit in terms of a gimmick. I was just thinking about that that trade wreck DX match in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I would have been like, I gotta call an audible. I think we should expose our bums to get him back on our side. <laughs> and oddly, Mr. Ass rarely, if ever, incorporated into the Very match. Very rarely. Unless he's just won a match and he's really gassed and he just pulls his pants down creepily like a fucking weirdo. You imagine poor Billy Gunn for years in DX and Triple H is like, and don't you forget, <laughs> pulling the pants down is my gimmick. Don't do any of that ass shit out there. <laughs> you be thankful that you call yourself Mr. Ass to begin with. <laughs> Backstage... Whoa, how did they jack into the feed? It's Eddie Guerrero and noted hacktivist Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> They're saying that everyone on this European tour has been so friendly and so nice to them. They, they couldn't be happier or more grateful with the gracious response they've received from everyone. Is that why Eddie's got a fucking black eye? Like, what happened I know, there? proper shiner on him. Fucking hell. But they're delighted, they're over the moon, and Eddie says, we've got to tell Grandma to come here. She's got to see it herself. She needs to come and visit Germany. And Chavo's like, nah, mate, we're like in Ireland or something. <laughs> like they, they're clearly just not paying any attention to what's going on around them at any time. And it almost feels like in this where, like, Guerrero's both Eddie and Chavo, and I think I, I will say I want to point out Chavo Guerrero, someone who I think really recent years we, we already get a chance to talk about chavo recent years he's someone where i'm like you know what he's probably one of the great fucking wrestlers of his day that was never put in a spot where he would rise above being a grand hand you know and all that mm. but i think he's absolutely fabulous very telling recently cm punk was asked in an interview what his favorite match was and he's like oh chavo guerrero unquestionably we did these two out of three falls matches on the house wow. show loop to fill time and he was so pro we could go out there and do literally anything because he was I. probably the most professional guy on the roster at the time but they can pull out a promo out of their rear end and it's mm. almost like someone's like, you need to go along. Because yeah. after they drop the... They, they call the UK Germany, which, mm -hmm. from my experience here, you're not going to get much more like, you fucking what, than yeah. that. You end the promo with that, surely. No, that's not a setup for, do you remember the Alamo? Because we remember the Alamo, and the uh -huh. crowd in the UK are like, we don't. We don't even we learn about the shit that happened in our country, yet nope. alone your country. Honestly, <laughs> you expect way too much of us. We know about horrible histories and the, the Dark <laughs> Ages, because that's all you get taught about. Not like any of the other shit you're involved in, including America and yep. the other countries surrounding you. Do you remember the Alamo, Adam? Uh, I, I remember that Billy Gunn wanted Michael Hickenbottom to meet him there. <laughs> That's about the extent of my knowledge of the Alamo. The UK, the educational system has failed you and TWC has, has and the wrestling channel and TNA have given you more. 
of a, of a background than your education system. They start fucking talking about like burritos and chimichangas and shit, like and beans and how people don't even refry their beans and like they run down the biscuits here. They're like, oh, these they call them biscuits over here. Whoa! I mean, we've said before. This is this has got to be offensive. I don't know if it's my place to say this is outright offensive, but surely this has got to be in bad taste. But the one thing I can say is that looking in the eyes of these two, I do genuinely believe that Eddie and Chavo are having a great time doing this stuff together. It looks like they're having a ball. Oh, I mean, Chavo has spoken. At, I mean, Eddie did as well when he was he was still alive. You know, they spoke at great length about how the Los Guerreros thing. They just fucking. It's what they always wanted to do. You know, it's yeah. like they're just let's just let's just get to do our shtick, have the types of matches we want to. Heyman at the helm, like they're pretty much golden here in terms mm. of of what what they want to to do and the ability they are to do it. I don't know if it's like fair to hold them to task or if it's no. probably more WWE to task for exactly, yeah. using stuff like that. The one thing I will say about it, and forgive me, I my details on it are somewhat sketchy, but I guarantee I remember this to be true because I was on holiday at the time. I was like 14 or 15 and I was on holiday and it was raining constantly for a few days. So I was inside watching CNN and VH1 and that's all mm. I did for like two days and there were a couple of wrestling shows they put on VH1 they weren't like actual wrestling shows it was like countdown of all these wacky moments in wrestling and I think it was maybe even something that they were tying in because Hogan Knows Best was coming on their screens at the time on VH1 okay. so they thought let's prep the groundwork let's do a few wrestling team shows because you know yeah. I don't know if you watched it much VH1 back in the day they loved to do the top hits of the 90s with the talking heads of people being yeah. like blah, blah, I can't remember this happened and they extended into media they had one about stereotypes in wrestling oh shit okay I swear to you this is true and they were talking about how WWE and they had footage of it as well they talked about how WWE used to use Whoa. people at the Iron Sheet and you know, I remember I couldn't believe I was watching it. I was in Italy at the time as well, watching on VH1. <laughs> and Eddie Guerrero showed up and he's like, I'm Eddie Guerrero. And at the time he was WWE champion. And he's like, uh-huh. the character I play is a stereotype of the, the good old Latino guy who's out there with his lowrider and talking about all this, you know, all this mess. And he's like, it's an over-the-top exaggeration. It's a stereotype. It's not who I am. It appeals to the audience it didn't feel like he was slating it mm-hmm. or defending it because it had that, if you've seen VH1 or these types of shows, it had that like, it's been edited a lot to kind of fit into something with a music track yeah. in the background and to squeeze into 90 seconds. So the nuance of it is gone, but he is aware that he's playing a stereotype at least. Yeah. And we were talking about this all the way back when he was with, with China. Eddie mm-hmm. and stereotypes, that was his career. Like that was a big part of it. And when it's heel heat, it usually is a little bit more cringy than when he's a face. Mm, yeah, agreed. I don't think it's up to us as two white blokes to say whether or not Absolutely this is okay. Not. It's not one of those situations where it looks like they've been forced and told, go out there and say this nasty shit or whatever. It looks like these two are more than happy to be doing this role and they're having the time of their lives doing it. Yeah, and I don't know if uh, Manchester or England will ever overcome the burn of you don't even refry your beans here. Mm. But uh, <laughs> hey, they sponsor our box office presentations, you motherfucker. Leave our beans alone. Now, why do you think these shows stopped? <laughs> it's because of this. <laughs> the beans dried up, mate. And my main takeaway from it though was Jesus, lads, for all of our sakes, wrap it the fuck up. Yeah, too long, <laughs> too long. <laughs> Hey, you got a nice big shot of the Manchester Evening News Arena. There it is. Hey. We live there. We we do. We live in the arena itself. <laughs> Coming up next. Oh, let me just, let me get some of that fucking heel Albert theme, please. And you know what? 
there's one thing missing from heels, and this is why they don't have heat. They ain't got the harmonica going. And this music can only indicate the arrival of Albert, who's got a kiss my ass match with Rikishi. Big hairy Albert comes out for his kiss my ass match. My partner Alice walked in literally as we got big naked <laughs> Albert stood at the top. He's like, he's hairy and he's oily and he's got barely any clothes on. And as he's coming out, Taz goes, do you think Albert's ass is pierced, Cole? Oh, now, I once saw someone with a pierced cheek and it looked mm. like the most sore fucking thing in the world and it just looked like an infinite vortex of infection and scratchiness. Mm. A pierced ass cheek. I don't nah, know, man. No, I, I don't know. That just seems like it'd be sore. I enjoy sitting down and I don't want to do anything that could potentially ruin the act of sitting down for me. I want to ruin all my ass grooves. What the fuck? But I had to explain to Alice the difference here is like... No, this is a kiss my ass match. Even though it's set in the UK, this is clearly a kiss my ass. The yeah. kiss my ass match that you're thinking of took place in America. It just it's because Sheamus was in it that it had to be a kiss my ass match. Oh, I Two thought it was officially types. that that was that was kiss my ass. I I my head it's kiss me whole. That's like oh, And Dal and Dolph, you're gonna get down there now. So you are. And you're going <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone! I managed to find a way to make it less sexy and more awkward! Yay! <laughs> Who says there's no value in going back on those old shows from 2012? Fuck me! <laughs> oh, jeez. And when Albert grabbed the microphone, I was fucking vibrating here. I was humming. Yeah. I was like, say it, say kiss my hairy ass. Say it, say it, say it, say it. And then he's like, you're gonna kiss my hairy ass. Like, yes. Did you catch his little his little gimmick at the end as well? I think he wants this on a t-shirt. Like, he's like, yes, ladies, I sexy, yes. <laughs> All this body hair of mine, everything you see is 100% Al natural. You know what, Paul Heyman? He's tried. He gave him oil of misery. It didn't work. We got yep. the hip hop hippo. That didn't work. And now Heyman's at the helm here, and he's he's giving him this. And I don't know if my hair. He's he's a couple of weeks away from being the A train though, so that's gonna hey, work. Hey, that's from. something to look forward to. Which fun fact? Heyman has used that before. A train was a name he was going to give to Devon Dudley originally. A train for Devon. Yeah, for Devon. Surely D train, right? A train, because A train's a, -train. a big train that runs through uh, New York, apparently. And that's like, oh, this this A train, this runaway train. You want to call him A train? That's that doesn't make sense to Devon for me. Like he's he's not even a huge guy or anything. Like yeah, but nothing about Devon makes sense anymore, does it? That's true. <laughs> Just take a look at the guy. Yeah, Stephanie McMahon. If I could only get that kiss. Oh God, yeah, you're talking about <laughs> modern Devon. Modern. I'm gay, Devon Dudley. No, seriously, gen sincerely, I'm gay. But but I'm not. <laughs> like, what's going on? Look, you, if you're trying a long time to seduce Stephanie McMahon, who Devon's on record as saying is the greatest, nicest, funniest, most beautiful woman, is, and sexy as well, not just beautiful, sexy as well, like, you know, what are you looking at, wife? I'm just talking about my, my favourite oh. woman in the world, Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> so weird. Oh, my God. Michael Cole managed to make me laugh more 
that Albert said, you got to kiss my hairy ass when he says there's a lot of meat in the ring. A lot of meat. He also, I couldn't believe this, he calls Rikishi the big quiche at one point. Wow. That's our job, mate. They refer to, to the ass as getting a slice of this big quiche. This is it a uk thing do you reckon because they're here tonight maybe i mean i've said that many a time at a picnic i'm like do you want to get a slice Mm -hmm. of this big quiche (laughs) (laughs) taz says that albert is a typical mean boston man just typical mean boston this is what they all look like i like we've had all these different things with albert like look let's just say that he's just a mean guy from whatever from boston that's where he's from he's got an accent look let's just say that he's japanese all right no one's gonna fucking oh oh god all the golden age is coming back now isn't it (laughs) albert's legs are shaved which is i think is a, a something he has done to enhance the hairiness at the top unless Albert's one of those people who just has a patchy growth and the patchy is his legs. Could be that. It could well be. I do want to say as well, with false advertising being a consideration, it ain't a hairy ass, folks. No, we do eventually get to see the ass and it's it's kind of disappointing. It's underwhelming, let's just say. It's undignifying. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great bit at one point where Albert bounces off the ropes and Rikichi turns around and shows him his bum and Albert literally screams, falls over and runs away. <laughs> All right. I love I love the silly stuff. Don't worry. We're, yeah. the, the opinions on the Gaga have been firmly, firmly established in this episode. But then after that, they start doing a double count out spot again. Again? Like, what the fuck? Continue to. <laughs> fuck me. I, Albert tries to do some of Rikishi's offense, like slapping his bum and tries to yeah. run into the corner. He hits the turnbuckle that he earlier exposed. Rikishi hits the bonsai drop, which is officially known as the rump shaker, Taz. The rump shaker. Rikishi. Picks up the win here against the Moil of Misery, who decides he's had quite enough of this. No, not Briss, this. And he's going to head on out of here, get out of Dodge. And on whose authority will he be brought back into the ring? Well, he's leaving and we just hear a disembodied voice go, Albert, if you don't get back in the ring by the count of 10, you will be indefinitely suspended without pay. Jeez. Whoa. And I'm like, whoa, who said that? And he cut to the ring. It's Jimmy Corderas <laughs> on the mic. Friend of the podcast. He doesn't suffer fools gladly, Jimmy Corderas. Really? So, he's he's just had enough, mate. He's fucking snapped. He's like, these people paid to see an ass get kissed. Get back in this ring, mister. And then the crowd gets to count again. One more what? time. <laughs> uh, right. I know busy work when I see it, all right? This yeah, is legit, your <laughs> legit, guys. All right, what I want now is everyone in this audience to get your piece of paper and cut out all of the shapes yep. and glue them onto your second piece of paper. A lot of this show feels like, you ever been to Covent Garden and seen like a street performer who's just starting their act and they're like, guys, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to juggle three chainsaws on a unicycle. But first, we're going to spend 25 minutes just making a lot of noise, getting more of a crowd and, you know, doing all the fucking busy work, making people stand around and wait and wait and wait. Lots of that tonight. We get a sequence now where the crowd are waiting just to see a man have another 
just to see a man's ass in another man's face. Also, I love as well that they managed to change Rikishi's finisher into a gimmick stipulation for the match. (laughs) Yeah, good job. Talk about drawing out the string there. But yes, we get a low blow and a baldo bomb. And then Rikishi does a low blow back to Albert. I'm like, lads, come on now. Just do the fucking stink face. And he does. And Albert's like, meh. That's not a kiss. The stipulation clearly says Albert must kiss Rikichi's arse, not get a stink face. Albert should be suspended indefinitely as far as I'm concerned, Kevin. <laughs> you know what? Anytime there's indignance about like a really shit kind of slightly sexual stipulation oh. not being followed through, I always just hear Steve Austin going, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> this is a pie-eating contest. For fuck's sake. And now... Now that we're all warmed up, you know, we've had our two low blows, we've had our ass kissing and all that jazz. Now Rikishi wants to bust a move. Okay, he's going to do a little dance and then we'll get on to the next match. That's cool. I think if Rikishi is going to bust a move, would you run over Stone Cold Steve Austin? <laughs> <laughs> You're still a baddie. I want the smack. Down announcers in this ring. Okay. So Cole and Taz are going to get in the ring and they'll do a little dance and then we can get on with the next match. Okay, that's fine. Let's get on with it. Taz gets a Taz chant. And I love I love Taz when he was a commentator coming in and doing like the fucking the neck crank. You're like, yeah, mm. I'm just looking after myself. Taz, the man on the bench for 20 fucking years and now he's doing the best work of his career. Yeah. I love it. Here's Taz on the back burner cutting a promo about if he's going to get the SmackDown announcers in here, I ain't dancing unless Tony Chimmel gets your David Cameron looking ass in the ring. Sorry, you, you skipped over the, the other fucking time-wasting bit where Taz is like, hey, Keish, I love you. I think you're fun. I love the whole dancing thing, but I don't feel like it. And he turns around to leave and everyone's like, boo. But on the other hand, maybe I do feel like it. Like, yeah, I don't feel like dancing. No, sir. No dancing today. I'm surprised you didn't get him to count to 10 again. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony Chimmel gets in the ring now. Yeah. And Tony Chimmel manages to ruin the fucking surprise because Tony Chimmel comes in with a hat. I'm like, that's an odd thing for you to have, Tony. Yeah. Prepared. And he like looks around with his hat like, where are your hats? Oh. And then Rikishi reveals that they're all going to have hats. Thanks, Tony, for ruining the surprise. So did we lose the license on the yellow sunglasses or something? Why have we switched to little fucking fedoras instead now? Oh, you say little fedoras. Tony's hat is fucking huge. (laughs) Huge. Tony with his big hat. Mm. He's got big dance moves. And there's a Funaki chant as well that falls on deaf ears, I might add, who did refer to himself as SmackDown's number one announcers. And he's very much left out in the cold here. They do a dance. And... I grew up watching wrestling with porn stars, Mm. very salacious sexual angles, blood, guts, undead princes of darkness, pimps, the whole yard. To say that I watched SmackDown and Raw over the years with two of the three numbers for a much less salacious channel in case my parents walked in. <laughs> One, two. I'm always there because I know always that... Always dialed if, in. Always dialed in. There's going to be Frasier or Scrubs on. It'll be Grant. <laughs> and I felt that embarrassment again 
when Joe walked in and saw Rikishi, oh. Taz, Michael Cole, and Tony Chimmel dancing around, and she, plain as day, said to me, what in the fuck are you watching? <laughs> and I had no answer. They don't even just do the two cool dance. They've modified it and added some new bits in now where they all go up, they grab the top rope, and they do this sexy hip gyration that is, it's a little creepy, like full Monty. It's its just a little too sexual now. I was hoping Taz would do the worm or something like that, like, you know? And then they finally, they're doing the dance. You can see Tony Chimmel getting into it. Hard cut to a tag team title package all of a sudden for no reason. I got the fucking bends that took me into this so fast. Jesus Christ. Out of no... It's literally like, there they are, they're dancing. Now here's a tag team title package. Out of nowhere. Now don't get me wrong. Package is golden here. It's fucking great stuff. Well, you didn't like this? Oh, I mean, I guess because I'm just so into this fucking storyline. I was like, yay! All the dude, Smackdown I like. I'm amazed. I-, I saw right through this package straight away because this is a really fucking high quality, proper A-team WWE. We are doing a recap package of this storyline. Yeah. And the package ends with the line, Benoit and Angle are going to no mercy. Mercy, mercy. Like, this is such a fucking reused one. They do this all the time. This has happened before. That is true. It has. It happened with Shane McMahon and X-Pac as well, where they literally just took one from last month and like, ah, fuck it. No one's going to notice if we use it again. A lot of folks also messaged in to let us know that apparently this segment, they could see the package on the screen the whole time, but they couldn't hear anything. So everyone was just like awkwardly sat around and they started out with a chant of like, we can't hear you or something like that. Like, oh, that. That, that happens all the time. I mean, I've went to Raw and SmackDown a few times in the MEN in the past few years. And I remember two occasions where they just... There was one occasion where they didn't play the promo packages at the start. Like, they didn't play the audio, just the video. And I was like, I don't even nice. know what Baron Corbin's got up his sleeve Aww. tonight. <laughs> What's going on? And then there was another one where, like, they just didn't play them at all. Like, so it changed Damn. the first time. The other one, it's like, no, you just don't get it. And, like... My experience of going to see, like, wrestling as it relates to going to see a TV taping, if you've never been to a TV taping and you're planning on going when the world goes back to normal, just mm. bear in mind, it's not for you. It's it's for the, like, you're yeah. part of their presentation for a yes. broadcast. They don't really care if you can see the video packages or not. They really should pay you to go to those shows, really, because you're part of the show. You're doing them a favor, mate. And you should win prizes for watching. Honestly. <laughs> Now, we've got a bit of a dream match coming up here. Los Guerreros, Benoit Angle, Tag Team Championship. Yes, fucking please. I want to say as well, standout performer here, I think is Chavo, who, if you're looking as for a partridge amongst the pigeons here, in terms of someone who does not have the name recognition value yep. of these other lads, Chavo Guerrero was my go-to random name I don't see on TV and I see on metal because the invasion is crap. He was not someone I ranked at all, and he exemplified why he's a great wrestler in this match i think i think this might be the first chavo match we've ever actually done on the podcast is it not he was a great american bash to support ray but he wasn't wrestling there i swear he had to be at night of destiny or something like that maybe for me this feels like i mean i think i've seen chavo actually get in the ring and wrestle i can count the amount of times i've seen that on one hand i think what do you reckon to chavito Oh, he's fucking brilliant, dude. He's so, so fucking good. Him and Eddie are just reading each other's minds. It's incredible. Honestly, I, for the longest time, for quite a few years, because I just would play the video games and not watch the product, I just had it in my head of like, oh, he's Eddie Guerrero's little mate and he's not as good as Eddie. Like, that's all I thought of him. But fuck me. He's 
so fucking good. His selling is like next level brilliant. For, for this era especially, I can't believe it. So there was a line here that I really tried to find the context to and I just couldn't. But Taz just started a story going, you know, Cole, my great-grandma, Tazzarini. And I was like, I, I was laughing too much then. Tazzarini. Kind of, Tazzarini. The extended Taz cinematic oh, universe. Oh, please. Yeah. Can, can they bring her into AEW now, maybe? Yeah, seriously. I don't know. what Tazzarini was probably, you know, nestling a young hook, getting him ready for the main <laughs> event. Like, you know, that's what's going on there. Tazzarini, Joey Numbers, you know, all these guys. Great the characters. Gang. The whole gang's here. Everyone shut up. I'm excited for this great wrestling match that I love. And the crowd love Kurt Angle probably more than anything. I thought it was going to be one of those cases that they were so into Angle, it would overshadow everything else. It still worked a treat. I'm going to say Kurt Angle is like the most popular person on the entire show tonight. The crowd is explosive for literally everything he does. <laughs> I, you know, you're talking about how the fans were saying that they didn't get to see the video package. Mm. That definitely rings true because I don't think Taz and Cole saw that video package. <laughs> they keep going on. Like, they're like, no, no, no. I'm pretty sure that Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, they're friends, Taz. Like, he hit, it, he hit him with a chair two days ago. Come Legit. on. Legit. Didn't you see the fucking promo they did earlier as well? Like, there's plenty of evidence here to suggest these guys don't get on. I'm so excited I actually get to use these words for real in an applicable manner. But with regards to Kerr Angle and Chris Benoit, there is honest-to-goodness, exceptional brinksmanship <laughs> and gamesmanship. Brinksmanship. Fucking is that what we and you sit down and we finally play Brink on Xbox 360? <laughs> live long last. Is is I just, when you said Brink, he's like, is that like Microsoft's version of Knack? <laughs> <laughs> Brink's got all these different moving parts. He's good. Oh, we get our grunt of the night in this match, Kevin. Oh, these are all they were grunting fierce here. Yeah, a lot of good grunts in this match, but the main one's going to have to go with Chavo Guerrero, who does a big suplex and a clothesline. Both moves are accompanied by a big rust <laughs> from Chavo. <laughs> that is fucking brilliant, <laughs> Chavo. My goodness, are the ballots been cast this year? First ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know, man. That's amazing stuff. Also, Chavo wins an award for European uppercuts, which is my favorite move for someone to do as a good stiff strike. I love oh, European yeah. uppercuts. They build heat really well in this match, in spite of the fact that the crowd are like, ah, we just want to see Kurt Angle, ah. They still build up to a hot tag. The Guerreros cut them off in a really, like, in 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 an engaging manner. It's not mm. just like, ah, we're going to put you in a headlock. Ha ha, no. you're bored now, folks. No, you're feeling for Benoit. He's getting these moves done to them. They take him to the outside. They do moves on the mat, which is then gets lots of explanation from Cole and Taz, which does more to bury the concept of mats than put it over. Because Cole goes, I know you may be thinking that those mats are going to offer protection, but they offer very little protection at all, Taz. And Taz goes, yeah, Cole, they're just like a thin judo mat. I mean, all it does is break your fall. That's about it. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I mean, it breaks your fall. That's not so bad. Like, right? Yeah, that still sounds like it's protective. <laughs> the audience are getting fired up, not restless. And I think oftentimes yeah. I'm watching wrestling matches where I feel a crowd are like, I want something to happen. Yeah. I want this instead. They're excited. The hot tag to Kurt Angle and all four are in. This is beautiful stuff. Kurt plays it up really nice. Yeah, that hot tag. The crowd just fucking erupts. People are so into it. Kurt goes crazy. Like, he's hitting clothesline after clothesline. 
it's up there on the Nando scale for sure. And it's not just your typical, oh, Kurt's coming in and being Kurt. It shows you how hot is. The biggest pop is when Kurt does a big pack body drop. That's yeah. the most basic fucking wrestling hot tag move there is. Shows you if you build it up, you don't need the fancy moves. You can just do the basic Legit. stuff. Benoit hits the diving headbutt. Bit of Air Canada here for the Commonwealth. Oof. Chavo breaks it up. Eddie then gets caught in the ankle lock. There's no referee. Eddie's tapping. Like, you are having the Guerreros as these really cunning performers who mm. still are being out-wrestled every turn. They just know how to play the referee against the other team. And it's not as if Kurt and Benoit seem dumb. It's like that they're a little bit at each other's throats. They can't communicate like these lads do. The setup with Benoit getting Eddie for the Olympic Slam. And the Olympic Slam gets such a pop whoa it is over in manchester the frenemies pick up the victory here and we get a tense face off at the end this match go out of your way to watch it fucking fabulous just about everyone that wrote in about rebellion even the folks that said i barely remember anything they all said this was the match of the night this was the one that everyone was into like and it shows the crowd was so loud during this match everyone was so on board with it and it's also as well, I will say, it has a bit of that house show energy because they wouldn't yeah. give you a match of this length. To Even on pay-per-view, they'd hesitate mm-hmm. to give you a match. This is a good, chunky match here and it's yep. fucking highs and lows. And even, like, you can watch a match like this and if you say to yourself at the start, I don't care who wins or loses, I'm just excited for it. And yet they still get you at near falls. That, for yep. me, is the mark of a really good dramatic match. And then more house show silliness as well. You've got Benoit and Angle arguing in the ring and like shoving each other back and forth. They've dropped both of their tag team title belts on the ground. And you see Eddie and Chavo just crawl into the ring and they both just grab a belt. But Angle and Benoit manage to stamp on the belts and put their feet on them just in time to stop them. And you've got fucking sneaky little Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero walking away. And Taz on commentary. Talk about sneaky. These two is like... Speedy Gonzalez and Slowpoke, uh, uh, Ruiz. <laughs> Fuck me, man. How, how do you have the level of fucking depth of knowledge on Looney Tunes that you know Speedy Gonzalez has got a slow mace? <laughs> like, belabor the point so fucking much. Oh my god, in heaven. Oh. Yeah, it's a great match. In spite of all the, you know, this match has got a lot of awkwardness working against it. There's some fucking... There's there's all them stereotypical jibes that you're hearing there at the end. There's that mm. awkward promo from Kurt and Benoit. There's an awkward promo from Eddie and Chavo as well. Just, nothing could stop this match from being awesome. Nah. <laughs> Backstage, Paul Heyman with the bad push-up technique. Keep your arms and or arse straight, Paul. God, it's so easy. <laughs> I like this relationship with, with Heyman and, and Lesnar. The kind of... He'd be being bullied a little bit. Yeah, it's super interesting seeing this different dynamic. Like, Brock saying to Paul that, like, if Edge pins Paul tonight, I'm going to fucking murder you, mate. I'm going to bust you in half. Oh, I, so good. I mean, Brock's not great at talking, clearly. Even back here, he still wasn't very good at it. But it's a different dynamic. It's so different to what they have these days. I hate how many times they kind of try to tweak this dynamic and make it out to be one thing or another. I... Mm like when they had the whole paul Heyman, you know like brock no please don't we'll get fu- brock no in, yeah. in that Heyman is like this scumbag but he knows where his bread is buttered he knows when brock is overstepping the mark mm-hmm. do you remember this is an obscure one for you folks and we've talked about kiss me hole matches so we might as well go back Fuck's sake. We're, we're in the we're in fucking we're, we're in the snooker bar now that's what i'm saying oh. right we're in riley's we're watching the fucking classic stuff do you remember when they did the the rematch with triple h and lesnar and it was in the cage 
And it was Lesnar meant to get his victory back against Triple H. And they did the whole thing where Brock was like, Paul, my, my leg is sore, Paul. <laughs> don't and, remember and they had Paul going, you get in there and you wrestle him. You wrestle him. And it was making out that Paul Jesus. Heyman was the guy who's like, he's what? his meal ticket. And he's like trying to bully Brock Lesnar. into What? My legs. Oh, so no. You get this chair and you wrestle Triple H. You wrestle the Triple H. Fuck. And we don't talk about that Triple H Lesnar fucking feud because it was an absolute abomination. I don't know, Kevin. Maybe one day we'll find our reason. <laughs> All right. I apologize. I I wrote down Egg versus Hey Brock, and that's not. I'm sorry. Edge taking on Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar. For the WWE Championship in a two-on-one match. Heyman coming out with Lesnar. That was just a package right there. The two of them together walking out. Heyman Mm. kind of exuding both the confidence, but also the fear of what he's about to do. I think it's a fucking fabulous performance, Heyman, in this whole match. He's really, really good. It could have gotten in the way. And I was only getting excited about this match when everyone was getting into the ring. And actually, it was starting. I was like, you know what? Yeah, okay, that promo earlier brought my expectations quite low. Yeah. And now I'm quite excited because I think this is going to be fucking amazing. Exactly. And the match blew my mind. This is this is what's great about these UK shows. You get these fucking weird-ass main events that, like, you sort of see it on paper and you're like, eh, Rock versus X-Pac for the title. That's a little weird. But then you get to the match and it's like, oh, wait, no, this is actually a good chance to yeah. see something, like, non-canon. It's like the what-if mode has been turned on or whatever. And we get to have these weird little things that we'd never normally get to see. And this is a really fun little encounter. Brock's been squashing people left, right, and center and having these long, dragged-out, bloody brawls with the likes of The Undertaker. He had also been, you know, squashing the likes of Hogan and things. You know, they've been putting him over very strong. He ended Hogan's career, according to the commentary table. <laughs> I think you find Hulk Hogan did that himself. But, <laughs> uh. <laughs> but Mr. America, brother, that's a whole other kettle oh, of fish, mate. dude. Yeah, I think what was so refreshing about this is that Brock was in ultra-beast protected mode, and mm. they weren't afraid to tell the story of edge is too quick for him and it was a very simple story Mm -hmm. and edge got to show the speed the quickness things like brock lesnar whipping him off the ropes picking up for a press slam and edge just kind of slipping out like a fucking acrobat and rolling up these sunset flips we got at the start Mm. oh almost as beautiful as an actual sunset (laughs) yeah these two just they have great chemistry i don't know why i wasn't expecting them to but I, I didn't have it in my head that Edge and Lesnar would necessarily gel well together, but they really fucking do right off the bat. Yeah, don't make them wrestle now in 2021 because it'll probably don't be you fucking dare. Six, six hours long with Edge oh. talking about grit as they wheeze on some gym equipment. Just know that's fucking SummerSlam 2021, guaranteed. Edge is going to win the belt at Mania and hang on to it till SummerSlam where he can fucking fight Brock Lesnar and get it all out of his system. Stop it. Just stop it's, it. It's happening. It's <laughs> happening, baby. I like that edge. The confidence grows and he starts baiting Brock with muscle man poses going, Brock's like, I'm muscly. How dare you? Heyman doesn't attempt to get involved. Like He's creeping on the ropes. He's clung on the bottom rope. 
and then the one or two times he thinks like maybe i'll and it's just like you're playing wrestlemania 2000 or no mercy you're like a guy on the apron hit him off the edge he's gonna go flying into the barricade he's off for a few minutes we'll be fine pretty like much. that edge's got eyes in the back of his head he's not treated as being an idiot you know no. that's really good here did you catch Brock Lesnar using his fabled submission hold on Edge. Oh, 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 oh. This fucking... I was very upset about this. I bet. I knew it. I fucking knew... I was thinking of you fucking beat Red with rage when they did this. Sorry, uh, my key doesn't work. Did you change the Brock lock? Yes, you fucking did. Because the Brock lock is not a bear hug. The Uh Brock lock is a stretch muffler when you've got the the leg bent, yes, the way it's supposed to, behind your neck. And you get that nice kind of... "Mm, Yeah. Looks uh." comfy. Like, we spent a lot of time on how-to wrestling talking about what maneuvers submission wise would be nice to have a nice stretch you know definitely the brock lock and and joe wants the brock lock incorporated into her mm-hmm. daily stretching routine that's fine it's not a bear hug i'll give it you it certainly I, isn't the bear hug is part of my routine yes but the, not it's not <laughs> a brock lock it's not a brock lock fucking ridiculous i tell you what i did like though very very cool little wrinkle to this match as the match progressed Brock Lesnar, the fucking ultimate king of monsters, learns the technique of Edge, and then he he has an answer for it. Edge goes back to those sunset flips, and Brock is a step ahead of him. He Mm -hmm. knows now. It's not because someone has told him. It's just in the context of the match, Brock is learning, and that makes him a scary super athlete. He's 20 fucking two here. So fucking young. They must have been over the fucking moon when they found Brock Lesnar. He's so young. He's fucking enormous. And he actually has a bit of a brain about him when it comes to wrestling. Oh, they didn't like that. It like that. <laughs> we'll get rid of that last part, pal. We can sort that out in a few years. Yeah, maybe you should uh, negotiate your own contract and uh, give you good mm. experience, you know? Uh, so Heyman is intermittently beaten up. Edge gets this big flurry where he hits the edge of and it looks like, you know, Lesnar's out of action. So Heyman gets dragged into the ring. And I mm-hmm. don't know why I loved it so much. Edge, after doing all this athleticism, hitting the fucking axe handle smash. Yeah. Did he not go in and change his default moves? Is that <laughs> it? <Is> He's going to put in the abdominal stretch next, is he? Like? I love that fucking, that kind of flat, weak promo that Edge gave earlier, putting over how winning the WWE title has always been his boyhood dream. He's always wanted to prove that he's the very best in the WWE. And he's more than happy to do that by pinning Paul Heyman in the ring. Like He's, he's not ashamed of taking the really easy route to win the belt. Like. Love it. We get the F5 reversed into the impaler, the execution. But the referee's been knocked out. A great near fall here, like where the crowd are like just wanting it. The crowd are believing it's going to happen now. Like there's nothing quite like when the crowd has convinced itself, no, no, tonight we're going to see something special. It happens once every five years and tonight is the night that it happens. Now that's the feeling they used to get in the NWA territories pretty much every night because they told Mm. you nothing and you didn't get to see anything. You're always thinking tonight's the night before the reveal would happen that it's not actually the night indeed. But yeah, it's great to see that spell being cast on a, on a smart, hot crowd that, you know, I I don't know if you could get this anymore with people buying something like this happening. Maybe it speaks more to the fact that a young guy wouldn't be built up to the level of an edge here where you would think. And I say a young guy, edge is older than Lesnar, the actual yeah. champion. Like, it's ridiculous. No, I think it is still plausible. It's 
unlikely and unrealistic, but they do it just often enough where I feel like, didn't AJ Styles win the WWE title off Jinder Mahal yes. on a random SmackDown in the UK? Like, you do that once every few years and it gives people enough hope to actually buy into the match and think, well, maybe it could happen, you know? Yeah. Anything's possible. We need to be very careful about our sprinklings of those because yeah. as it stands, all the gimmicks that don't require audience participation, we've done every single one at least twice during the yep. pandemic so far. Mm -hmm. Oh, this was great. Heyman mouthing off to Edge. Hey, you son of a bitch! Edge's got a boot at Heyman in the rest of that- Hey, you son of a bitch! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, I'm sorry, little girl, but uh, Paul Heyman has replaced you as my favorite bois that I've seen. <laughs> you son of a bitch, bois! We get a spear to Brock and the fucking mother of... It was like a spear where Brock's heart was being ripped off. He was like... Well, Brock jumped into it. Like, he did a big leap and it caught him in, like, mid-air. Big collision. You could hear it. He takes the bump like a fucking kaiju being brought down. Yes, amazing. honestly. And, like, Cole and Taz, like, he stuck him with that spear. And the near fall is so close that for a second I actually thought that Edge had won. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is the finish, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> like... I was like, God, I really don't remember this. <laughs> Get the chair behind the ref's back. Brock mm. with the F5. Picks up the win. Phenomenal match. I love that so Brock good. just walks out on, on Heyman as well. He's like, you, yeah. you brought me this close, you motherfucker. Anything that happened here is your fault. Yeah, he just storms off. He's too pissed off to hang out and celebrate. And to send the crowd home happy, we have Heyman the creep going over to Edge, poking him with the chair going, Your ribs hurt! <laughs> I love this. Because like, I don't want to see fucking Paul Heyman swinging a chair. I'll be honest, most of the time I didn't want to see Vince McMahon swinging a chair for fear no. for the competitors taking the shot. Honestly, that's it. If you're going to have someone like Heyman, and I quote, this is what Taz calls him, a silly little man. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you do it. You have him be a pest. He's like being a mosquito on someone who's like fucking past it and he's yes. jabbing him. And then exactly. Edge just lays him out with that impaler DDT at the end. I thought it was somewhat unnecessary but it was good to send the crowd home happy. That's it. Tease to the point of explosion here. Now, we did get a, a correspondence here from Benj Ellaby, who just wanted to say that, like, on the topic of sending the crowd home happy, apparently, and I'll just read it out as Ben's written down here, my main memory was actually after the show, when despite having just been beaten up by Edge, Paul Heyman came back out after the show had finished taping and gave a bizarre heel promo. He held up that week's edition of What's On TV, or a similar weekly TV guide, what? and started reading out the synopses of upcoming episodes of Coronation Street. It seemed like he thought that he was doing the Manchester equivalent of revealing spoilers for an upcoming Game of Thrones. <laughs> he got down to Friday's episode and the crowd wasn't really biting, so he started ramping it up like, Oh, Ken Barlow resigns from teaching after being pushed too far by a pupil. What the Fuck. That's good, is it? That's what passes for high art for the people of Manchester. I wasn't local to Manchester, but my feeling was that the Mancunians aren't particularly protective over Coronation Street. And the crowd's reaction didn't really show that either. <laughs> Eventually, Booker T came out and did a spin rooney for the second time that night, and we all left on a high. <laughs> and Booker T starts, like, name-dropping the, you know, the Brooksides, you know, the, the, the real... Uh, Emmerdale real... Farm, baby. And he's like, you don't have to worry, we all have home and away still, you don't have to worry about this <laughs> shit, like, get out of here, Heyman. That is genuinely the most 
most bizarre finish to a pay-per-view ever mm. and move over Raven who tried to use like Doncaster Rovers yeah. to get the heat that's the new worst local heel heat <laughs> wow that's fucking all right Hollyoaks spoilers We'll have words, obviously. Wow, okay. That's where you draw the line, is it? You'll have a riot on our hands here in Manchester, is what I'm saying. Not me, Adam. I'm fine. But these people, I can't hold back anymore. These people. They'll they'll fucking, they'll go absolutely bananas about it. (laughs) Adam, I had such a great time watching this pay-per-view. And I hasten to say, it's probably one of the best UK pay-per-views we've ever reviewed. I would agree. I've got this feeling in the back of my mind that few years down the line someone will mention rebellion 02 and i'll be like oh yeah that was the one where um ah shit i can't remember what happened on that show because i don't think any of it is particularly like whoa that was insane or crazy or memorable but what it was was a really really enjoyable show it fucking flew by the quality of wrestling for the most part was very high there's a couple of clunky matches in there where it mattered your main event your your championship matches the stuff that was advertised the Undertaker delivered the important thing is is that the NAF matches were all really short and the good matches were all like decent meaty length matches where you got to really enjoy the characters like this was a fucking awesome show yeah awesome time on Smackdown indeed god we'll get there eventually on the crawl I'm I'm eventually yeah it's going to be a very intriguing time for you to uh, delve into the Smackdown 6 era. What did you think of this pay-per-view? Let us know in the comments below. And as always, if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, leave us an old rating or review. It's the best thing you can do to help out this show and help more eyes and ears get on the Attitude podcast. And if you ever find anyone looking for a recommendation for a podcast talking about wrestling from back in the day, why don't you send them our way? You can find us on social media at AEPodcast on Twitter or on facebook.com forward slash Attitude Era Podcast. And on that Facebook page, you will find a catalogued library of video clips from our episodes. We've got clips from classic episodes, clips from current episodes, and lots of clips from our Patreon content, including Smackdown Crawl and some clips of our videos we have. If you have any ideas for moments from this episode you'd like to see set to a video format, do get in touch with me at Biblops on Twitter. And hey, you can support this podcast, help keep it ad-free and 100% fan and listener supported by heading over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. Look, we've been running this Patreon for a number of years now. I think we've just passed our fourth year. There is a lot of content on there. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of the SmackDown Crawl, all of the Bibliotech or Book Report series, random side ventures like the, the big show, 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 show. And the things like the Limp Bizkit Chuck of Starfish album review. Yeah. You also, for our $10 backers, can get access to a whole bevy of Q&A episodes from myself, Adam, and Billy. Don't forget as well, video episodes are also available. And for our $20 backers, you can get access to our entire back catalogue, the Dan Severn tier, all of our commentary tracks that were previously available on Selfie. You can get access to all of them. You get over a dozen for $20. You're making an absurd saving. You're basically getting them for less than half of the price they originally would have been priced for. All those available on Patreon. And thank you to all of our backers who have continued to support us throughout the pandemic and we're happy to bring you fabulous new content on our patreon as well as free content here on the main feed each and every month until next time it's going to be a goodbye from me kevin and a cheerio mate from me taz i mean me adam let's go get ourselves some of that nice brain beer and we'll see you next time on the attitude era podcast